When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. And with me on a special guest on this episode, just a one-to-one chat, it's with a, a legendary, I think, former player of the Albion, it's Mr Guy Butters. Welcome to the podcast, sir. How are you doing? Good evening. Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. You? Yeah, not too bad. All the better for seeing you. Looking well, sir? I feel all right, yeah. Like I said, I've been... Um... Yeah, I've been sort of uh, under the under the cosh a little bit lately. I was supposed to have a hernia operation the other day, but uh, it got cancelled. Thankfully, um, might have put me out till about Christmas. So yeah, I'm quite glad of that. So uh, yeah, it's one of them ones. I think I probably had it when I played, but um, it sort of it wasn't one of them protruding horrible, you know, ones that it sort of impedes your daily life. So um, the decision was that there probably would have been a tiny bit of risk with it. So I thought, well, no point going ahead. Uh, so thankfully, yeah, it's uh, saved me. So you having to be on me, off my feet over sort of the Christmas period. Oh, yeah, those are the sort of things. I dread those kind of things. I've not had the displeasure yet, but I'm sure it will happen at some point, those kind of things. I was, um, I was lucky with that. Like you said, I know countless people who had hernias, double hernias, uh, that sort of thing. I, I mainly broke bones when I got injured, so <laughs> I didn't have all this, you know, too many of the little niggly ones that, um, you know, keep you out for four or six weeks sort of thing. I had, I had the long-term ones. So, yeah, it's, um, but yeah, I, I suppose that's going to catch up with me at some stage. Yeah, fair enough. We'll get on to talk about your career in a little bit. But um, just to start off, and um, we're doing this uh, recording midweek on the, in between the international break and uh, the game against Forest that we've got coming up. Um, just to get on to a couple of subjects that have come up, really. Um, first of all, Everton, big news, uh, just to report, 10-point deduction, one point more than Pompey had for going into administration quite a few years back. Uh, what's your thoughts on it? Have you, have you got any ideas on what you think about this? Is it, I mean, is that a bit harsh? Or is I, it... I, I mean, to be fair, I was obviously aware of the Pompey stuff. It was sort of just after I, I sort of I was there as, as a youngster. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sort of, so I was sort of aware of the Pompey situation. But I mean, the one now, I'm, you know, it's, I wasn't too fully aware of the Everton situation. But I knew that Chelsea, I think it's Chelsea and Man City, have had a, quite a lot of stuff hanging over their heads for a while. Um, <laughs> and from what I can understand, they've got, you know, fuck far more sort of offences uh, hanging over them than whatever now. So it'd be interesting to see what comes up. I mean, every day I look on Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, um, and there's always talk on there about things. And someone mentioned about Tottenham as well earlier. So, you know, I'm pretty sure there's going to be sort of all sorts of stuff coming out of the woodwork. Um, I think that the I think the Premier League are putting in place a, I want to say an ombudsman, but it's someone to, you know, have a look at all these sort of financial yeah, fair uh, regulator, yeah. Yeah, regulator, yeah. I think they're, so they're going to put it under scrutiny. Um, so, yeah, be interested to see what comes out in the next few weeks. Yeah, quite a bit of a fuss about that. And I'll, I'll get into that with my uh, 
my pals on the way up to Forest for our match day special on the next one. We won't dwell on that too much, but it's, yeah, it's interesting times. And you're right, the Man City thing and Chelsea now as well, it's uh, hanging over them. And I think the City thing is purely down. There's so many charges against them. It's understandable that that one was, was came up earlier, but will get settled one way or the other a lot later. Yeah, there's too much to deal with. You know, you know, money talks with it, I suppose. You know, they've got the lawyers on the case and they're trying to find little loopholes that they can get out of. Um, someone yeah. told me as well, it's a lot of their stuff that they've uh, getting done for was to do with the academy and things like that as well. So it might be a, a bit different to what everyone have gone through. But, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Um, I was like, brought up like that way. I had a brother. Um, and we was always, what one gets, the other one gets, you know. Um, yeah. uh, so, you know, hopefully they, they will treat everyone fairly. Um, but it suppose in a way it's a good time if you're ever going to get a ten point deduction. I think Everton are coming to a bit of form lately, so it's, if you're going to get hit with a financial um, with a ten point um, deduction, it's probably not a bad time for them to have it. I think they got Man United, didn't they, the first game back on yeah. Saturday, so at home as well. So be interesting. They get three points there, and then I think it softens the blow a little bit. Yeah, I think they'll survive this season. And definitely, as compared with last year, if they got it last year, they would have been in some serious trouble, especially if it's earlier in the season when they they would have really plummeted into into the depths. But um, and, and I think, um, sorry, I think um, with Everton as well, you know, it's sort of, um, you know, the way, like you said, the way they are, the way they've started off the season, I think if it would have been a different time, I think they would have struggled. But it'd be interesting to see now, because, um, you know, I, I've heard as well that some of the championship clubs that went down or have been down, you know, trying to sue Everton as well. So it's just a complete mess at the moment, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's just a legal wrangle, I suppose. But, um, you know, and like I said before, the ones with the best lawyers will probably end up with a le- less punishment, but uh, which is not always fair, is it? No, but I think you've got the nail on the head there. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah, it will be the case, won't it? Almost certainly. Um, yeah, the, the other big news, I, I'm not sure if we mentioned Evan Ferguson's got a new contract, actually. He's had a, another year's extension, which is good news for all Albion fans. Um, we'll come on to talking about the current Albion team a bit later on as well, Guy. But um, the other bit of news from this week, obviously, the uh, the internationals. We had the break from uh, from domestic action. And England's two underwhelming performances, really. A 2-0 against Malta and then a one-all draw away to North Macedonia. Not entirely impressive, albeit uh, there was a, a questionable disallowed goal and we should have had a penalty against Malta, so that should have been more comfortable than it was, but still didn't play that well. W- what do you make of it? Do you, I mean, obviously, Lewis, um, they took a long time getting him into the team and now Sodzlaw, he's, he's had one minor injury before. He's got another minor injury now, missed out on his potentially his first competitive caps, didn't he? Um, but what what did you make of England? I, I, I think personally, um, I mean, I... I... Never got obviously to them sort of highs. I played in the under twenty ones, which was good. And um, you sort of are, you know, you do get you do get taken away from the domestic scene. Um, you know, and all the all the other teams and all the other players that don't travel, they have a little bit of a mini break. So to go away, it's you know, it's obviously great you're representing your country. Um once they've qualified, I think with the Trippier case as well, sort of going back, I don't know, is it Newcastle got a lot of injury, didn't they? You know, someone if you're gonna be one of them sort of um conspiracy theories. You know, you're probably thinking, has he gone back because he doesn't want to get injured um, and, and put more burden onto his club? Um, same with all the rest of the players. I think they had one eye on the games coming up on Saturday. Uh, the pitch didn't look great yesterday. Um, the referee was certainly shocking. <laughs> um, you know, you give a few, one or two uh, sort of strange decisions. And I, I think people were sort of going out there protecting themselves in a way. Um, but yeah, you know, it's they got the job done. I'm, I, I sort of, I would like to have seen him played a few more of the ones that have been on the fringes for the Mortar game, um, or blooded a few more of the 
the the youngsters, you know, and, and played them because, like I say, we, we've qualified. I know, I know, you have to sort of finish a certain point to, to get the seed in. I think we are seeded first anyway. Um, mm-hmm. I, I still would have probably would have mixed it around a little bit. I think he was a bit, you know, he sort of um, he's reluctant to do that. I think he was a bit worried that if he did that and the results didn't really go, you know, too cleverly for him. I think he's, I think he was a bit worried that he's going to come under criticism. Whereas, you know, you, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't in that sort of position. I think. Um, like you say, the, the the one with Gordon as well, and it from Newcastle. You know, maybe call him up or something, and make sure that you get him in the old England shirt. I mean, unless I'm being wound up here, I think Chris Wardy's played for Scotland before, but um, yeah. you know what I mean. So you're narrowing these people down for allegiances with England, um, and to give them give them a game. Uh, yeah, it's a difficult one. It is. It's sort of you know you've got a lot, of, but I think a lot of the players have got one eye on the league situation with their clubs. I've never yeah. seen yeah. so many injuries at clubs. Um, whether the World Cup last year had something to do with it, um, the time it was played, I don't know. And everyone's sort of playing catch up, and it's catching up with them. It just seems a bit weird, doesn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. And I think it has affected things, hasn't it? I think it has. Um, I, I would have been interested to have seen it. It's a shame that Lewis did have the injury, if that is what it is. Um, him and Gay, uh, the Palace uh, centre back, um, looked really good together when they played. Ironically, <laughs> two rival clubs, but um. They looked good together in the one time they did play. I think it was a half together, wasn't it? One of the friendlies. It's a shame we didn't get a chance to see them because you, I know Lewis is obviously at the tail end of his career overall, but it'd be good to see some new partnerships developing in, at least in the next two to three years. And obviously Gay and um, some of the other young players that are coming through like um, Colwell. Yeah, I felt a bit sorry for Tamori the other day, you know, playing him sort of in a left-back position that he's probably not used to. I thought yeah. they might switch to a three at the back there, you know, maybe... He's probably more used to playing that out in Italy. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, um, as you said, it's sort of putting partnerships together. It's difficult because you obviously play against each other throughout the season. So you're only sort of together for a week or two um, mm. and you're trying to put these th- things together. But yeah, I certainly think that um, the, the games that I saw Lewis play, I was very impressed. You know, um, I'm surprised he hasn't played more often than what, what he has. But, you know, again, it's sort of um, the, the man in charge makes these, these decisions and, you know, I think he's sort of like he's he's being a bit cagey with it. And I think he I think he sort of thinks he can rely on the old brigade to get him through. Um I think he'll get him so far, but I'll be very surprised if I see sort of the same sort of squads that have been picked for the Euros. I'll be surprised if Henderson travels. Maybe he might be there for the experience, but you know, give his experience to the younger players. But um, you know, then when when you sort of go to these championships, I think you sort of should be leaving him players behind, really. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder with Harry Maguire as well, or crab face, as my wife calls him. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, he, he didn't he didn't really cover himself in glory last night, did he? I mean, was, I think that was a penalty he gave away. Certainly, some of his passing was a little, you know, not be desired. But you know, it's, it is what it is. Like I say, it's um, you know, the pitch didn't look great. Like I said, and the uh, the atmosphere was there. It was you know, it was a bit stale with the players. They didn't really seem too 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 much up for it. But again, like I say, you know, you, you call out results and you're through. So that's the main thing. Yeah. yeah, he gave the ball away against Malta and created a chance for them as well, which was a bit of a well, nightmare. They said, the, they said the fans last night, because uh, uh, he went down trying to get a penalty, they said it was the Macedonia fans booing him. And I weren't too sure. It might be the England fans again. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but he's certainly come under it, and he, a little bit this year. But, uh, you know, that's football. You, you go through them things. You know, like you said, when I first went from Brighton, I went through it a little bit. So you just sort of, you got you got to trust yourself and you got to make sure that you get fit as you can and you just trust your ability. So... And hopefully it's enough to get you through it. Yeah, 
Indeed. Well, that's enough about that. Let's talk about Guy Butters, shall we? Um, let's let's get into your background first of all, because looking on Wiki, if the if the details are correct, uh, you were born October '69, so a little bit older than me, just by about a couple of years. So I'm, I'm imagining <laughs> a, a similar background in terms of yeah, what what was on the scene, what was culturally going on at the time. So were you? You know, growing up as a kid, really into your football panini sticker books and all that kind of thing, shoot magazine. I was that I was that horrible little kid that, like they used to say, he slept and drank football. Um, yeah, I used to go, you know, and that's a cliche, but it was just sleeping in my football kit, ball under the bed, all that sort of stuff. Um, I remember going to, really young, when I, I was really young, my uh, nan died. I remember going to a funeral, taking a football with me and kicking it up against the wall. Um, yeah, do you know, and, and it's uh, I, I missed another family member's funeral because I had a game somewhere. And I was told to, um, you know, go and travel to the game. Don't worry about the funeral. So it was, it's always been in my blood. My dad played for a local um, firm called Sarmsons, who make wallpapers and uh, uh, curtains. I think they're still going. Um, but it, it was a place called Hundred Acres in Uxbridge, in West London, and it, it just had loads of football pitches. So all the when my dad played, he was a goalkeeper. Um, so when he played with all these mates that worked, used to work at this firm. Obviously, all the, all the kids used to go along and watch and we'd, we'd just get a ball out and kick around. So my brother was about four or five years older than me. And most of the lads were sort of that age. So I think it helped me really because I'm obviously, you know, I'm, I'm sort of four or five years younger than everyone else. When I've got the ball, they never held back in their challenges and that. So you had to be a bit sharp on your feet to try and avoid them. Um, and, I, and originally, it's probably going to sound a bit weird, but I started off as a left winger. I started off as a left winger because I was the only one in the school who sort of could kick a ball with his left foot. Um, but I, I sort of, even even then in junior school, um, I sort of played a year above um, as a left winger. And I always remember when I've got a picture on my Facebook, uh, I'll get it out every now and again. We like the proper Bash Street kids, late 1970s. And uh, we won a league and Phil Parks came down to present the medal. And uh, I'm standing on a bench. I look just as tall as him, but, you know, we all sort of like, you know, got everything hanging out of our jeans and our shoes and all that sort of stuff. And I remember <laughs> playing against him when I was at Tottenham. He was in goal for West Ham, so it was a bit weird. But um, yeah, so it was growing up around that that sort of time. It, it all seemed it's totally different, obviously. You now it all seemed different. We could we could kick a ball up and down in the street. I mean, I smashed many a window of our neighbours <laughs> and got chased down the road by someone. You know, trying to give you a bit of a clip round the year old. Um, but that's what it was in them days. You know, you just literally. You got up in the morning on a school holiday, your mum sort of kicked you out the door and said, come back for your lunch. And then you come back and had some lunch and then it was kicked out again and come back when it starts to get a bit dark. So, you know, and because we obviously didn't have much money in them days, it was, uh, you know, someone had a football, they were like the boss of the uh, boss of the street as such, you know, and everyone used to sort of join in and play games, go to the local park. And in them days, I mean, I, I don't know what it's like, they don't really see too many people over the park kicking the ball around nowadays, but... Even if you didn't have a football and you just sort of wandered over the park and there was a kick around going on, you just stood by the goal and someone invited you in to play anyway. So yeah. I've always been around football. I always remember playing football. Um, and yeah, so from from a right young age. Luckily as well, my mum, who was probably more of a driving force than my dad in my career, um, she was brought up by my granddad to, you know, she's going to watch him play as well. So I was, always had a sporty family. And like I said, I had an older brother. So any sports going that we used to play, and it was yeah, it was really good, really good upbringing. And you're born in Hillingdon, and this was all around London, wasn't it? With all this upbringing, is Hillingdon West London, by the way, as well? West London, yeah, West London, just on the outskirts. So you sort of you go five minutes one way, ten minutes one way. You're near Watford, and then you go ten minutes in more in, inward bound, and you're right in the centre of London. So, um, 
it's sort of, yeah, it was, it was perfect, really. Perfect place to grow up. Uh, like I said, we didn't have much money, but, you know, we had, um, we had a lot of friends, you know, we had a lot of, lot of, lot of mates down our road, uh, um, some good footballers as well, to be honest. We had, um, Hillingdon has always sort of t- t- managed to churn out some, some decent footballers in the past. I think, uh, I think Glenn Hoddle was born around there. Um, Gary Stevens was brought up sort of around that area. The Wilkins brothers, they mm-hmm. were all feeling mm-hmm. that my mum used to work with um, uh, Ray Wilkins and Dean Wilkins' mum. She was a dinner lady in the local school. My mum was um, used to work there as well. So yeah, so it's sort of um, there's been quite a few quite a few players that have been Barry Lloyd, I think, as well, healing them boy. So yeah, it's, you know, a lot of lot of them went on to represent Brighton and or managing or whatever in one shape or form. But uh, where where we sort of lived, it was um, like I said, you you could go and watch anyone on a Saturday pay on the gate in them days. You didn't have to have season tickets, etc. So one week um, QPR be at home, you go and watch QPR v someone. Another week uh, Watford will be at home, you go and watch them. Brentford, um, and sometimes you'd even with your mates, you jump on a train and you go and watch Arsenal or Tottenham or someone or Chelsea. So uh, I, I grew up not really supporting anyone. It seems a bit weird, but I used to love Cup, FA Cup final day was the biggest day of the year when you were growing up as a kid. It was a complete it was a day of it, wasn't it? it? You used to have comedians at the hotel. You used to have like, um, you could ring in the grandstand or whatever it was and they showed sporting clips from the past. Um, so it was a fantastic day. And, I, and I, if, I used to be obsessed with football kits. So whoever used to win the FA Cup final, I'd, if someone said to me, what would you want for your birthday or Christmas present? It'd normally be whoever, a kit of whoever won the cup final. So, but um, I was, I mean, not Welsh at all. I, I remember getting the Welsh kit because it was that lovely red one, a bit like Coventry's old kit. It was red. It had yellow and green bits of stripes coming down the front. Oh, yeah. Not Welsh at all, but I'm, I'm got that one year for Christmas. <laughs> it's a fantastic kit. Um, Wasn't it a little bit like Coventry City's home yeah. kit? It yeah. was the same sort of style. It's lovely. It's great. I mean, mm. yellow, um, sort of a thin black line going down. It's surrounded by yellow and green and red. And yeah, brilliant. Loved it. Uh, and there were some good kits in them days. Uh, you know, Man United normally, late 70s, Man United won quite a few of the cup finals. So obviously you used to get a Man United top or a, a kit. My brother ended up supporting Man United. Um, my mum was a Chelsea fan. My dad was a West Ham fan, which we might go on to later when I, Managed to score against them. Um, he weren't too, weren't too chuffed. But uh, conversation, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he found like he dropped a dropped a tenner, found a fiver. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, but growing up around there, and they had a really good non-league scene as well. You know, Uxbridge used to play. It was a good team. Hillingdon Borough, um, and like I say, Watford and teams like that were sort of lower lower leagues when Graham Taylor was there. And you say you had your likes of Luther Blissett, John Barnes. It was great. It was brilliant. You know, I remember going and watching them play against Newcastle and they were like 5-4 the games, you know, just loads of goals and all standing on the terraces. And I mean, this is how mad it was. We used to, how we decided who we were going to watch that day, we'd, we'd drive to my dad's um, work. They used to have this lovely bar there in the firm bit, you know, where everyone, where the canteen was when they used to eat during the week. So they'd have a couple of pints and then say, right, who should we go and watch, we go and watch Watford? And then all pile in the car and, you know, we'd jump in the back. No seatbelts in them days. You get to the ground, park where you wanted, go in there. They'd have a couple more pints, you know, so they probably all steamed up. Drive back, which is how mad it was in them days. Yeah. Um, but, you know, growing up around that and sit, listening to the stories of the adults and just being around it and being around football, it was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. 
different days very very different days indeed but um it sounds to me as if you were influenced from all over the place really so my next question was going to be who in particular might have inspired you who were your heroes growing up obviously it sounds like anyone that won the FA Cup the whole of that team might be the answer but yeah um, I mean I, I, remember, I remember um again this is how weird things go I, I was about seven when um my mum and dad went shopping and me and my brother were left back um at the house Saturday morning watching Tiswas or Swap Shop or whatever it was on in them days. And um, I found my dad's lighter. So I started playing around with it. Cut long story short, I nearly burnt the house down, basically. Um, so all the upstairs was gutted. So uh, obviously got in trouble for it. But as the stuff was being decorated, we had to basically live downstairs. So on a Saturday, I'm on a little sort of a bunk bed, uh, you know, like one of them little camp bed things. Um, watching sneakily watching that one eye match of the day on the telly as a seven year old, you know, it's sort of watching, you know, Martin Buchan playing Sammy McElroy, all them sort of people. And like I say, I was a winger in them days, which is just um, mad. and so watching Steve Coppel, Gordon Hill, players like that from Man United, you know, Steve Highway, um, Dave Faircraft, super sub at Liverpool. Um, but sort of watching them people, and then gradually as I sort of got older and a bit, little bit, little bit, shall we say, a bit bigger. Um, I wasn't so, so quick over five, ten yards. So uh, the left winging, left winger days sort of went <laughs> went uh, out the window, and then I sort of got pushed into sort of midfield, centre midfield. Um, so growing up, sort of early teens, would have been watching players like Charlie Nicholas, uh, Stuart Robson, Arsenal. Um, obviously, being a schoolboy in them days, you trained. I, I got scouted, funnily enough, um, playing for Middlesex schoolboys. At about 11, I was about age 11, 12. So I got invited down one day, uh, one evening a week down to Tottenham. So sort of watching Tottenham games, you know, watching Glenn Hoddle, obviously, absolute genius. When, uh, even, even nowadays, when you see some of his clips and his goals, you know, it's absolutely brilliant. On the pitches they used to play on and with people trying to murder him on the, on the pitch as well. Um, so growing up watching him, Trevor Brooking was a great, my dad used to love Trevor Brooking being a West Ham fan, Alan Devonshire. You know, people that I've sort of met when I was older and got to know. Um, but watching them as a young kid, and, and in them days as well, match of the day you used to have, not only was it all based Premier League, was it, it was all first division where it was in them days, you used to get a game from near enough every division. So there would be a Brighton game that I'd have watched, I would probably would have watched. I remember Alan Mullery scoring that goal for Fulham, you know, the <laughs> volley. Um, I remember watching the, you know, the, the sort of goals of the season. Glenn we normally used to win most of them. Um so yeah, growing up, it's fantastic. Some of the, you know, the challenges, even the tackles that went in. Obviously, then as I sort of progressed, going to centre half, watching people like Graham Roberts, you know, putting a challenge in, and Paul Miller and players like that, and then, you know, your David O'Leary's at Arsenal. So yeah, I mean, it's, it was it was just fantastic to grow up watching them players. Yeah, my first yeah. year, seventy nine to eighty three. Um, the, the first four years were those first four years the Albion were in the top flight. So one of my foremost memories was seeing the likes of. Glenn Hoddle, who I was, I was bowled away with. I was amazed yeah. with who this player was, you know. He seemed to have such swagger about him. And Ozzy Ardilis and people like that obviously came on the scene as well. And um, those are my foremost memories. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean even sort of, like I say, when I when I um, turned, like, was a schoolboy, so from 11 till, I think it was 11 till about 14, um, we were trained by sort of coaches around. John Pratt used to play for Tottenham. He, he was one of our coaches on a, on a one day, one evening a week. And then when I, from the ages of 14 to 16, you have to sign schoolboy forms. So 
you you basically um, you forfeit uh, uh, playing on a Sunday with your mates in a Sunday league team, you know, um, which which in a way was gutting in a way because you've grown up with your mates playing. But obviously, then you start playing for Tottenham on a Sunday against Watfords and Chelsea's. And um, Ron Henry used to uh, train us. So that went to two two evenings a week, so a Tuesday and a Thursday. And I had Ron Henry training me. He was a double winner in 1960, you know, 51, 61, whenever it was, double winner. You know, for Ron Henry, it's like... <laughs> Crazy, um, but it was great to learn from these people. You know, they've been there, done it. Um, they never took any any mess in. You know, it's always get your earring out and get your hair cut, and as it was in them days. But you had um, you used to get tickets as well to watch the game, so you'd be up there. Like, I was lucky, really, because my dad, my dad sacrificed a hell of a lot. He's not been well lately, but he's he sort of I managed to have a chat with him and and sort of thank him for all the driving around he used to do because he used to get out of work early and drive from West London to North London via the North Circular Road. You know, imagine getting up there for five o'clock in a weekday. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm, actually, I think it was probably in my last years of school, 84, 85, 86, around then, we were, we were driving when the when the, um, the Tottenham riots were on. I remember literally driving up there, seeing all these police vans going everywhere with cages on. And you could see <laughs> about three streets away, the sky was just lit up with all these flames and... You know, with these rights, me and my dad's poodling along in his little little Allegro or whatever he had at the time. Yeah, it's just surreal when you look back on it. But um, this is the original, though. It's not, not the ones we had years later. This is the um, uh, Broughter Farm Estate, wasn't it? Yeah. The Blake Lock, was it? Yeah. Lock. Yeah. Yeah, just, it was, you know, it was crazy. Um, yeah, we were sort of having to pull over and let some police fans go through. No one else was on the road because they obviously knew what was happening. <laughs> me and my dad are poodling up from West London. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, and, and, um, you know, Frank Lampard's um, son was sort of a young kid as well. There, Jamie Redknapp was a young kid there, a couple of years younger than me. But so you obviously, I mean, Redknapp turns up to watch and Frank Lampard seniors there, you know, people like that. So, it's, yeah, it's just great times. You know, you just sort of, you're. it feels, you pinch yourself sometimes because, like I said, when, when my dad sacrificed a lot of stuff, there was the odd time when he obviously couldn't get out of work. So I was lucky there was a Tottenham fan lived a few doors along. So if, whenever we had to go and watch a game, he'd, he'd give me a lift and I'd I used to get, get him a ticket. So we had a spare ticket. So me and him would go along to watch the games. And I, I was always told from um, a young age um, by people like Ron Emery, John Pratt, Keith Blunt, who went on to become my youth team manager, uh, to watch whoever plays in your position, just study them, you know, study their mannerisms, study what they do, how they mark people, what they, you know, do they get too tired, do they drop off? And what, what sort of... Um, it was what I found really stood out was the talking, the talking. When I, I watched a few reserve games as well, and the talking on the pitch was deafening. Really, I don't know if you've actually been to a game when Chris Uton was manager at Brighton, but you can just hear him on the sidelines. That's what it was like. It's what he was like as a player. Um, you know, he's sort of demanding things from you, telling you what to do, where to go, etc. So, so sort of when you when you leave school and become an apprentice, and you're training with these people, Gary Stevens, Terry Fenix, you. People coming back from World Cups, Steve Hodge, you know, how lucky was he, by the way, getting Maradona's shirt? Yes. Yeah. About seven million in the end. Um, so, you know, these people come back from World Cups and you're actually training alongside them. Uh, you, you just sort of listen. And it's, it feels a bit surreal when you're growing up as a young kid watching all this lot on the telly and then all of a sudden you're in the same changing rooms with them or you're around or you're cleaning their boots even. It just seems surreal that you're around it. Um, did for me, it sort of, it took me quite a long while to feel that I sort of belong there. And I still did. I still, I look back sometimes now, I still don't think I belong there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it must be great though to have that, that that was your foremost experience getting in there at, at Spurs. I mean, it's a, a great place to do the learning, isn't it? Do you think yeah. that really helped you? You benefited more by coming in at that level with that sort of club rather than the other traditional way of the you know, your Ian Wrights and who kind of went through non-league and came up the other way around. Yeah, I think as well, you you sort of, it's totally changed now because you've got academies. So you've grown up in a, you know, you, with your same sort of teammates every year and you're playing under under 16, 17s, 18s, whatever. In them days, you just had a youth team, you had a reserves and you had a first team. So if the first team were away at Newcastle, uh, the reserves would play on a Saturday afternoon at two o'clock at Spurs' ground. So if they've got, if the first team have got a cut of injuries, they take a few of the reserve team players with them. You then step up from the youth team playing the reserves. Um, when I, I remember being a schoolboy, still at school, um, and the reserves had a behind closed door game against Arsenal, and obviously the, the first team had gone wherever. It was just to give people a game, you know, just to get them back to fitness. And obviously because they were short, I think the youth team had played away somewhere that morning. So I was told to go along and play. And Paul Mariner was playing for the opposition. He was about 33, and I'm I'm 15. Um, I'm in the market. And, but he he was fantastic. Even though he was on the opposition, he he knew what football was about, and he knew he knew what that game was about as well. He knew what it was meant for, and he was he was actually trying to coach me through the game, even though I was on the opposition, telling me not to get too tight, don't dive in, things like that. It was amazing. Um, he caught me a treat as well on the ice. I had a bit of a black eye, so when I went to um, went to school on the Monday, and everyone's going asked me how I did it, and when I told my mates. Some of them are Arsenal fans. They're like, "Yeah, right. Yeah, didn't believe me." But, um, but yeah, it was fantastic. Like I say, you you not only played against them, you played with older players. So, you, so you know, I, I could be playing in the reserves alongside players like Vinny Samways. Um, like I said, Terry Fennick coming back from injury, or Gary Mabbott coming back from injury. Chris Hewton alongside me, or Mitchell Thomas, or uh, behind you got Bobby Mims or someone. You know, it's just. Tony Parks, you know, he's won yeah. UA yeah. sort of cups and that, in and they're behind you t- talking you through the game. It's just fantastic. Um, I probably learned, I probably would have learned more in one year doing that than I probably would have done in four or five years of an academy. Um, and I think that's why a lot of players in them days made their debuts a lot younger. Uh, now I think, it, you know, you're sort of looking at people sometimes they're 21s, 22s making a debut because they've come through that system. Whereas in them days, I think if you had some injuries and that, you were just thrown in the deep end, as I was on my debut, really. Um, yeah. Speaking of weeks, November 1988, League Cup yeah. tie versus Bristol Rovers. You did score in that game, didn't you, Guy? I was Blackburn Rovers, that one, yeah, but it was in the own net. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, it was one of them where the lad sort of flicked it on, it sort of hit me and went in, you know, it was uh, yeah. not as if I've sort of nutted it in my own net or anything. He sort of flicked it off my head. I'll, I'll be gutted, to be honest. If I was that player... I'd have been gutted it was given as an own goal because it was you know it was going on target anyway and it just sort of skinned my head. Yeah, but, it wouldn't be a good uh, would it? No. But that was on a Tuesday night, so then obviously gearing up for the game on the Saturday was against Wimbledon and the rumours sort of going around is a few injuries you might be playing. So a bloke I remember a bloke on the Friday that would have pressed for there. And it was only one bloke really who wanted to talk to me and he was from the Daily Star and he just said, Oh, crazy game tomorrow, how'd you fancy it? I said, well, do you know, uh, sort of, you know, John Fashion, who I've sort of played against players like that before. I'd probably rather play against someone really tall and physical than someone who's small and quick. And that was it, really. Um, and basically, next morning, my dad sort of threw the Daily Star in the bedroom. And what, what have you said here? Two pages in, I can't wait to bash Fashion or something like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't even say it, you know. Um, I always remember getting down. And like I said before, it's you, you feel surreal when you go down there. So I, I was sort of, 
with all these sort of senior players and normally when you're the younger player as well, you're sort of, you know, go and get me a cup of tea, go and do this, go and do that. So I sort of, I used to hang around outside the changing room as long as I could before I had to go in. So I was sort of standing outside the changing room and I had the door go around the corner where all the players come in and all the Wimbledon players started to come in. So I sort of, I did what any big centre-half does and I hid in the boot room. <laughs> so I was sort of looking for a crack in the door, waiting for him to go. And then I came out and then Bobby Gould, their manager, walked around the corner and he sort of like nodded in all the stewards and the, you know, the tea lady and that. And he sort of come up to me and he went, all right, big man. I went, all right. He went, watch your teeth. Like that. <laughs> and walked in the changing room. I was sort of like, what? And I went in, went in the changing room, sat next to Paul Moran, who was a sub as well. And I told him, and he, he blurted it out to everyone. They all sort of like wet themselves laughing and that. So, but I was on the bench that game, and they some, you know, it's great making your debut. Um, it was great, you know, coming on, but it when it's for someone else's misery, if you know what I mean. Uh, obviously, Gary Stevens with the Vinnie Jones tackle. I wish it. I wish I hadn't had to come on for that situation, if you know what I mean. Um, because it was, a, you know, like you said, it was a cow's tackle. Uh, he was on the floor, couldn't go anywhere, and he and it sort of effectively wouldn't say it finished his career, but it probably put paid to a good couple of years for, for Gary. Um so you, you know, it's not the sort of thing you want to come on for, but obviously, you know, you sort of everyone's got to come on you know, these things happen, everyone's got to make their debut sometimes. Did you did you score on your debut uh, on that um league yeah. We were yeah. we were one all, I think, at the time, and then we got a corner. Um, Gaz has sort of floated right in. I always remember I started off at the near post and spun around to the far post. And I, I just remember seeing it now. Paul Stewart challenged with one of their players. And I, I just thought, you're going to miss this. And um, yeah, just got me nut on it. And luckily I headed it down and it sort of skidded off the floor and just snuck inside the near post. Um, turned around, I just tried to find my mum and dad in the crowd. And I sort of waved in their general direction. But I didn't have a clue. I couldn't see him. There was just arms and legs everywhere. Um, and then we took it. They took kick off, sorry. Uh, we nicked the ball back literally immediately and went up and scored straight away again. So we were 3-1. So Aileen really had time to celebrate the goal. Um, and then I think they nicked one towards the end. Terry Gibson scored. And I always remember Terry, because um, there was a little, obviously Tottenham, Wimbledon in them days had a lot of rivalry. There was a few challenges that, like say, Gary Stevens won. Gary Mabbott had a fractured cheekbone before. There's, they've got a lot of history of battles against them two teams. But Terry Gibson congratulated me on the pitch like for me goal and well played in that and he went but don't don't tell anyone I told you <laughs> which was great because he obviously used to play for Spurs um, and then yeah I, I just remember sort of coming off the, afterwards don't really remember too much in the changing room uh, I do remember going home and because I was only a young pro then I was on I was on a two year contract and I think my first year I was on nine grand a year and my second year was I was on eleven grand a year so imagine how Times have changed. Um, so I, I was skinned, didn't have no money. So it's obviously, I think it was sort of towards the end of the month, I was skinned. And I remember going home and my dad obviously was a, he was sort of like a bit of a, bit of a quiet fella. My mum was all over me, um, but my dad was sort of, well done, you know, give me 20 quid to go to the pub, have a few beers. And I remember coming home the next day, wake up, well, I don't even remember going home to be honest, but um, woke up next day, I had 30 quid in my pocket. I don't know how. So I had a good night, I had a, I had a great night. But, uh, oh, that is the definition of a good night. It was <laughs> a brilliant night. Yeah, I don't remember much about it, but but I, you know, I was talking to someone the other day how time has changed. Um, and like I said, obviously the wages, you know, night, you know, I think young pros nowadays probably be getting nine grand a week. Um, 
11 grand a week, you know, the young, young pros, but that was us for a year. Um, and yeah, and, and the funny thing as well, I always remember the players bar at Spurs, it was a free bar. You know, they had a free bar at Tottenham and you never, you know, you didn't have any food after a game. So you probably had like your pre-match meal about half 11 and then you played a game and then you quickly got in the shower and tried to get up in the bar as quick as possible. And you smashed down a few pints, whatever you did, and drove home, which you did in them days. It's mad. Without eating. So you hadn't eaten for five, six hours. Uh, you know, and then you go home, you probably... Well, I used to stop in the chippy on the way home, get some fish and chips and that, and then go straight out. Uh, but yeah, times have changed. All this sports medicine and all the sports science side of it, I think they'd have been horrified. Yeah, I think it's slightly <laughs> different now, isn't it, Guy? Just a little yeah. bit. <laughs> slightly, yeah. But yeah, it's like what it was. Drink driving and eating chips. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but even, you know, even sort of when I played for Portsmouth, we used to, away games, um, on the way, actually, you'd, you'd have a team meeting at the hotel, and then on the way to the stadium, you, you'd always used to take a young pro along with you to do, you know, shift, help shift the kit and do whatever else. And he'd be walking up and down the coach taking orders for your fish and chips or whatever you wanted after the, afterwards on the coach. So, you know, you're, you're on your way to the game, and you've got this young kid coming up going, do you want fish, sausage, or uh, chicken and chips? And you'd be going, oh, I have sausage and chips, please. And as he walks behind you, don't forget the curry sauce. You know, I mean, it's mad. So, of course, after a game, there'd be a big box of fish and chips at the front of the coach. Two crates of lager. So you grab four beers, grab your fish and chips. So you go to the back of the coach, start eating it and having a drink and that. And then if you won and you run out of beers, you was all right because you could ask the gaffer to stop at an offie. If you lost, it was sort of down to the captain to try and convince the manager to stop. But... Some of the managers I played under, you know, they like to drink as well. I mean, imagine Jim Smith at Portsmouth. He loved to drop a red wine. So nine times out of ten, it'd be Jim that would be stopping at an offie and saying, come on, lads, let's go get a few more beers in. But, yeah, it's just when I look back on it, it's you look back on it and you think, you know, how did we get away with it? But at the time, you didn't think it was any, you know, you didn't know any different. Um, and I look back on it now with, you know, you laugh and you've got so many stories about it. Um but yeah, you just, it makes you wonder how you would, how it would have been if you had about all the sports science stuff now. Exactly. <clears throat> the only thing is, obviously, everyone was in the same boat, so you yeah. weren't at a disadvantage because everyone else was doing the same thing. But yeah, you do wonder. Yeah, you wonder how how the whole of football could have been so different back then as well. Because we were behind the curve, weren't we? You look at Europe and the Italians and the French and nations like that, where they already had that dietary thing in place from way back. Well, well, we had, um, we had, uh, when I was at Tottenham, we had Terry Venables come back from Barcelona, bought yeah. him certain, certain stuff with him, you know, training ideas. And then he signed, uh, Eric Torsfed, uh, Norwegian keeper and Goodney Bergson. I think he was Icelandic. And yeah. when, when they turned up and looked what we were eating and they couldn't believe it, they were like, what, what are you eating? You know, we used to, we used to train on a Friday at the training ground and then we'd, we'd leave our cars there, get straight on this double-decker bus and they had, um, they had waiters on there and cooks and they'd be giving you like bacon rolls. And you're travelling up to a game, day before a game, eating bacon rolls and they're like, they're horrified. They're, these were the sort of lads that had like 4% body fat, you know, supreme athletes, you know, Viking-like, um, taking the skin off their chicken and all this sort of stuff. Can I have boiled chicken and rice? And, you know, we're, we're sitting there eating, <laughs> eating bacon rolls and having a few pints after a game. They sort of, I don't think they could believe what was happening. But, um, and like you say, I think it was, you know, I think it was up until sort of Arsene Wenger coming because all the Arsenal boys used to, it was quite famous for it, weren't they, having a drink and that and some of the shenanigans they got up to. But I think Arsene Wenger sort of put pay to it and uh, 
and, and sort of brought in that, you know, that side of it where it's sort of sports science was coming in, getting more and more involved. Uh, we never used to do team warm-ups. We used to just go out individual and do... I remember me and Terry Fennick at Tottenham used to be the first ones out for a warm-up at half past two. Um, and people just used to come out quarter three, just putting their shorts on, smash a few balls in the back of the net, try and hit the old mascot on the back of the head, and then do a couple of stretches and then jog back in. <laughs> Jay Lair, apparently, by all accounts, when he was at Chelsea, quarter three, he'd still be outside trying to sell his tickets. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I'd be a totally different world. Um, and that world sort of moved on. You, 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 I think you were on loan at Southend, went to Portsmouth, then spent six years at Chillingham. Um, were notable for the fact that you were, um, I think you were, uh, didn't you take the penalty that, what's his name, Walker saved in that famous scene yes. where he runs off celebrating with his gloves flapping around? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, uh, we, we had, well, I moved to Portsmouth, like, so I still had three years, I still had three years left of my contract at Tottenham. Um, I sort of thought I could got back in the team. Um, then, like you said before, being at Tottenham is great. It has so many pluses, what you're learning, what you're taught, what you're around, um, the way that you're sort of treated, you know, the press is all over everyone, blah, blah, blah. But on the downside of it, when you when you are at a big club like that, the expectations are so high that if things ain't working out on the pitch, they they, they will try and fix it by buying their way out of trouble. So they're buying in players that, you know, cost you like three quarters of a million in them days, a million pounds. And unfortunately, as we've happened with me, slight loss of form maybe, but... Um, they, had a, they had a lad that they signed, Steve, essentially, who was essentially a midfielder but could play centre-half. So it wasn't really working out for him in midfield, so they sort of put him back at the back, you know. Um, and in them days, you never had all these, sort of, however many subs you got on the bench, you only had two. So you found yourself on the bench, and then one day they decided they don't need an extra defender on the bench, they put a forward on, and next thing you know, you wait, you wake up and you go and train him with the reserves again. It's sort of, well, still only sort of nine, uh, what was I, 20, still only 20. I had three years left on the contract. Um, went on loan to Southend, uh, but started getting you know each again to get back into the team. But worked my way back into the team, and we had a testimonial. I think it might be Ray Clements' testimonial, and um, I, I thought I'm going to play because I wanted to go you know like prove my fitness, prove I'm back in the game, back on it. You know I want to get back in the team, and I was on the bench, and I kept looking at the clock, and it was sort of an hour, uh, sorry, second half, still not getting on. Half hour ago, still not getting on. Caught them now to go. Right, go and warm up, you're going on. So I warmed up, and as they do in these pre uh, friendlies, like a testimonial, ball never went out. So I'm warming up for 15 minutes, thinking I'm going on. And literally, as the ball went out, I went on. They took the throw in, the ref blew up for full time. So I'm fuming. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fuming anyway. So I've literally run in, got stripped, went up into the players' lounge, and one of my, one of my mates was in there. And he was he was absolutely wet in his pants. I mean, he was wet in his pants. But <laughs> I'm, I've got decent sense of humour. But for some reason, it I was fuming. I, mean, I must admit, I was fuming. And the more he laughed at me, the more fuming I got. <laughs> so uh, I've done something which uh, do I regret it? I probably do. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, I had a decent career. I next day I put a transfer request. I went knocked on the manager's door, give him a letter, and said I want out of here. Two days later, I'd sign for Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, could, like say, if I'd have stayed, I think I would have got back in eventually. Over three years, I saw some of the players that played after me. I think I would have got back in. Um, but I just wanted to play football and I just needed to get out of there, I thought, at the time. 
I thought it was a bit disrespectful the way it was sort of handled. But yeah, anyway, so I made the jump down to Portsmouth. Um and we had a we had a decent team. We had a not we had quite a good team. We semi finals FA Cup one year, ninety two, uh lost to Liverpool in a replay on penalties. And then the following season lost in the playoffs to I think it was Leicester by an offside goal, by the way. <laughs> not that it rankles much, um, but an offside goal uh to get into the Premier League. So we had a really good team. Um players like Guy Whittingham scored something like forty four goals that season, broke the club record. Um I think it was only just recently been beaten, I think. Um yeah. and Paul Walsh, players like that, Kit Simons, Andy Orford, Alan Nightingale. We had a great team. Um, but as with all teams that sort of go for it a little bit, once you don't get that success, then all of a sudden you've got to balance the books. Players start getting sold to Man City and wherever else, various players. So then you find yourself in a few relegation scraps, which we did. And uh, like I said, I'm not sure uh, how it was left. When I left Tottenham, I'm pretty sure that Tony Venables at the time was a bit surprised that I put a transfer request in. Not sure if he took it that well. And then all of a sudden, I find sort of Terry Venables is linked with Portsmouth as like chairman, and it coincided with. I always remember Alan Knight coming in one day, just being that's you knackered, isn't it? I was sort of like, what do, you, what do you mean? You know, it's a strange thing to say. And probably again within a month, I'd gone, I'd gone to Gillingham. So yeah, so it's a bit strange. But um, and again, Gillingham under Tony Pulis, what a, what a what a manager. He um. We never done one five side. It was all fitness based. It was probably the fittest, of, well, one of the fittest I've been. Uh, but he, he got together a, a bunch. I'm looking at some pictures now of the day that you said at Wembley. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, I don't think there was too many players under six foot. <laughs> 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 about a certain style of football, but it worked. You know, we lost in the playoffs to Man City, like you said, one year. Um, we were tuning up with five minutes, uh, however many minutes to go, then the ref put up five minutes injury time. We don't know where he got that from. They called two deflected goals back. We lost on penalties. And then Tony went and Peter Taylor, who obviously Brighton Brighton manager, yeah. Yeah. came in for for a year, who basically had a he had a great bunch of players there, great squad. And we got into the playoffs again. We we went to Wrexham away last game of the season, haven't so I think we had to draw or win to go up automatically and they're their fullback smashed in a 35-yarder top corner in, after about 10 minutes. Then we absolutely camped in their penalty box, just couldn't score. The goalkeeper for Wrexham at the time was Kevin Dearden. He was, uh, he was, um, he's goalie coach at Luton now. He was in my youth team. He's my youth team goalie. He came to the hotel the night before, nothing to play for. Come Kev, drop a few in, you know, <laughs> you know, got nothing to play for. Uh, and he had an absolute worldie the next day. We lost 1-0. So, of course, us being us, we've got underneath in the coach where all the luggage goes, we've got bottles of vodka, crates of lager, because we think we've, we're going up automatically. We're going to have a party. So, Peter Taylor's in the changing room, and he's, right, lads, because we lost the year before in the playoffs, we're going to go Wembley this year. It's, it's written. We're going to go back there, and we're going to win. But I don't want to see any of that drink left under that coach so enjoy yourselves on the coach get it out of your system blah 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 um we're on the coach having a good old you know after one or two drinks and that you start relax a little bit have a bit of a giggle uh peter taylor was 
really good sort of. Uh, I liked him as a manager. We had our run-ins, but he, I thought he, you know he's a decent bloke, and he used to do the old Norman wisdom impressions and all that sort of stuff. So it sort of lightened the mood up a little bit. But while he was at the back doing these impressions and trying to get us out of the doldrums, he left his phone at the front of the coach, and one of the lads has picked it up, and it was an old because he was involved with England. It was an England phone, you know, one of them ones. So one of the lads had scrolled through Glenn Oddle's number, Sammy Lee, all these players on there. So a few text messages went flying to these players. You know, Sammy Lee, just, you know, the usual thing. He's fat, he's round, he bounces on the ground, that sort of thing. Glenn Oddle, something about Eileen Jewelry, you know, that sort of stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, you had his phone beeping at the front. So he's gone up there, blew his top. He absolutely blew his, all his replies coming from all these text messages. And uh, he absolutely went spare. Threatened to sack Junior Lewis, who, who played at the time. Um yeah. Told we were training the next day at seven in the morning. Um, just, just literally went for it. Um, it. It was funny. It was so funny. But he calmed down in the end. But yeah, so we went. We went there. We beat Wigan in the final, and it was extra time. It, was, it looked like it was going to penalties again. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, do I take one? Because I was on penalties the year before when I missed that one at Wembley. I was on penalties for Gillingham. I scored about eight penalties that year, uh, six penalties, something like that. Um, so I was thinking, please don't go penalties again. And the only other time I've ever felt like that was the Brighton one with against Swindon when it went to penalties. Yeah. And I think I think Charlie was first reserve one, and I was after him. Um, and I'm thinking it's coming my way, and it is coming my way. Luckily, luckily Benji saved one, and what the post or whatever it was, and yeah, luckily, luckily we went through. Yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's take a quick break there, Guy, and in part two, we'll start talking about the album in a lot more detail. Before we do, though, just you mentioned Norman Wisdom there. I don't know if you know, but bizarrely, and I've got no idea why, he was the director of the club in, I think it was yeah. the 60s or early 70s. See, no when, one... you, when you go to the when you go to the stadium, if you look by the West Stand, there's a massive, they've got a massive big picture on the wall, on the glass pit of him. I think he's singing to the players on the pitch. He tried to do a version of Good Old Sussex by the Sea that he wrote his own <laughs> lyrics for it. It wasn't great, to be honest. <laughs> they look good. They're all laughing their heads off, so it could have been that good. <laughs> yeah. Also, he's the number one comedian um, in Albania. Yeah. Uh, I, that. I don't know what that is all about either. It's I know. Like, I know. It's crazy, is it? isn't it? Yeah. He, um, yeah. Was he, so he must have been obviously Brighton-based then, I assume. I presume Brighton-based. I don't think he's from Brighton, but he must have been Brighton-based at some point. Yeah. A bit of director, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Otherwise, yeah, it's strange, like you say. But I mean, you know, it's fantastic for the for the for the club. You know, like you say, that picture. I I love them. I, I I could walk around that stadium all day looking at all the old pictures. Yeah, there's one in there's one in one of the I think it's in the East Stand where they've got uh something like nineteen nineteen fourteen or nineteen oh nine or something like that. And they're all they've got their all got the caps on, every okay, hanging out the mouth, and you know, it's just brilliant. I love all them old pictures. You know, and, and the crowds just. Heaving. Pitches yeah. didn't look too good, but uh, yeah, pitches didn't look too great. But um, yeah, I love them photos. Love all them photos. I do as well, yeah. And we've done a really good job with that, actually. I mean, the, the album's got loads of them all over the, the walls of the concourses in the, in the various corporate areas and everywhere else. It's great. It's good to see that sense of history. It's nice. Okay. Well, Guy, let's take that break there then, and we'll talk about the Albion in part two. Okay, so welcome back to part two with me, Russell Guyver, your host, and with our special guest today, Guy Butters. It's been brilliant to have you chatting to us. You told us about your background, and um, 
we then come on to the Albion. So 2002, you joined the Seagulls and you had a few years with us and um, we had quite a bit of eventful uh, times, didn't we? Um, what's your take from it all? Uh, tell, tell us how it all came about to start with. Well, I was, um, I was sort of, like I said, Peter Taylor went from the club at Gillingham and then I think Andy Essenthaler was like a, he was sort of a player manager at the yeah. time. He took over. I think he'd always wanted a job, but I think that's why Peter came in the year before because... I think Essie still wanted to play, and I don't think he could do could do everything. So Peter came in, basically showed Essie the ropes. Um, so Essie took over. We played, I think we played Bournemouth away, and um, I, I went in for a tackle with someone, and I, my knee twinged, um, and I had to go to hospital, have sort of like uh, scans, etc. Um, and it, well, it wasn't too serious, but I, I sort of remember coming in during the close season for treatment and missed pre-season. Miss pre-season. Um, and so they, Gillian, you know, obviously that towards the end of that season and beginning of the following season, I think Chris Hope had signed uh, centre-half. So um, I wasn't really going to be looking to play any time soon. Um, and I think Essie pulled me one day and said, look, Brighton are interested in you. Do you want to go? So obviously, because I, I live in Southampton, I still do, um, ever since my Ponty days. And it would be near a home for you. We don't want a fee. Uh, be a good move for you. How do you fancy it? And I knew Martin Inchwood, the manager at the time, from he was reserve team manager at Pompey when I was there. So I sort of weighed it up and I said, Yeah, but I, I knew I wasn't fit. I'd just sort of come back. I hadn't really played many reserve games. Um, and I sort of had, I, I think I had one training session on the Friday. And then we're playing Portsmouth away on my league debut, away against, you know, that season, Pompey absolutely ripped it up in that division. Uh, funnily enough, we we done okay. I think we went one nil up and one nil, or we were one nil down and went two one up. We went two one up anyway. But I gave away a penalty, which I still don't think it was a penalty. Um, but yeah, I could tell I wasn't. I didn't feel right. Um, but when you sort of sign for someone, they expect you to come straight in and hit the ground running and play. Um, didn't work like that. We had a bit of a bad run. Don't think we won a game for ten games. Um, yeah. And then the last game I remember playing, it was it was a weird one because like I said, I knew I wasn't fit. Um, but when you're when you get in that situation, they they know that you need to do some fitness work in training, but it's a fine line because you can't do too much because you've got game and you don't want to absolutely kill your legs. So I was sort of trying to do a lot of fitness work during the week and trying to see how I went in games and it wasn't really working. Um, and then I think Sheffield United was my last game that I remember playing. We were two new up. They brought the kitchen sink on as such, but had about four or five up front. Um, we lost four two. Don't think I did anything majorly wrong in the game. Don't think I done anything. Just went, you know, played okay. Uh, I think it was Steve Cobble's first game, and then obviously the next game, was me and Fergus I think got dropped. Didn't even travel, and it was Palace away when they lost five nil. And funny enough, I probably I bunch. I've spoke to two or three people who still think that I played in that game. Didn't do too well in that game against Palace, did you? I didn't even play. Um, <laughs> That's not so, yeah. <laughs> So it's one of them ones, you know, and then with Steve Cop coming, he obviously had his way of thinking. He bought Dean, Dean uh, Blackmore in, is it Blackmore? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Blackwell, Blackmore. Yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so Dean, yeah, Dean Blackmore come in, um, and one or two others that he bought in, uh, and yeah, you just sort of find yourself out of it, playing resi football, just trying to get fit again. Uh, went alone to Barnet, I think, that year as well. Martin Allen, one of my old teammates. Um, phoned me up, said, do you want to come down, get some fitness? I said, yeah, brilliant. So I finished that season, I think, on loan at Barnet. 
their season finished a couple of weeks earlier than the league did. So I came back, obviously trained with Brighton, but felt quite good. And then during the pre-season, during the end of the season stuff, I sort of got me nut down and got a bike and sort of went running around the local roads. Come back, had a really good pre-season under my belt. And I think one of the last pre-season games was Yeovil away. And then I think that's when the thing went in the paper about someone put the other sale or something like that on eBay. Uh, totally unoriginal because someone else had done it before or a lot of people had done it before. Um, the only gutting thing with that is no one, not even one of my family members put a bid in for me. You know what I mean? Not even a fiver. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you can tell, I've got quite a good sense of humour. I, uh, it didn't really phase me at all. Um, it's more sort of people that you know, they, they feel sorry for you, how you're going to react. And you're trying to sort of put a, not a front on it, because it didn't really bother me. It's just, you're trying to put that front on, like, it don't mean anything. And they're, they're, they're not taking it. They're not believing it. But but my missus was quite good. You know, she's, she's got a good sense of humour as well. She wasn't, you know, so we, we got through it. And But, yeah, so... Luckily for me, like I said, I had a good pre-season under my belt. And I could see Steve sort of like watching me in training, um, see how I was doing and that. And he put me back in. And I think I think we played Washington and Diamonds away and I scored. Uh, Plymouth away, I scored. And so I've done okay. And then obviously it started, the rumours were going around that he was going to be leaving. Um, so, yeah, so I sort of got made my way back into the team, which I'm quite pleased about, really. Because I, I always sort of have them, towards the end of my career, I'd sort of always had them... I had it with Peter Taylor when he first came to Gillingham because uh, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm big anyway and that. You, you sort of, you get a feeling that people sort of prejudge you a little bit. So uh, Peter had certainly done that at, at, um, at uh, Gillingham when I had to sort of prove him wrong early days. Um, Steve Coppel, obviously I had to prove him wrong, which I did. Um, and when Mark McGee came in, I thought, you know, I was, I was sort of, I think I was, I think I must have been probably about 33 at the time. When, when uh, Mark McGee came in, and I, and I sort of thought, I'm not having all this again. I'm not going to go out in the wilderness again. So I pulled him first day of training and just said, Mark, look, you know, I want to pull you. I'm, I, I don't have any preconceptions about me. Watch me in training or, you know, watch me in games. What have you got to do? But don't just think, you know, big fella, blah, 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 and leave me out because leaving out's sake. Um, and he, he went, funny enough, he said, I was going to pull you after training. He said, because... You're the only one I know. <laughs> he went, I said, sorry, he went, he goes, I don't know anyone here. He said, I don't know any of the players. He said, I, I know you because when you play for Gillingham and Portsmouth, I've played, oh, sorry, I've managed teams that you've played against, uh, played for, and we've played mm-hmm. against you. So I know what you can do. He said, not a problem. He said, but, so he goes, so I want to pick your brains about something, you know, about the squad, about blah, blah, blah. So I said, yeah, no worries. And he said, but if you're serious, if that you want to sort of extend your career and, you know, and lose a bit of weight or whatever if you're worried about your weight. He said, come see me tomorrow. He said, get in about an hour and a half before everyone else. He said, and bring two sets of kit. So, okay. So, uh, it's the old training ground over the road where the, where the uni is. So, I got there about, I think about eight o'clock, half eight, something like that. So, we've gone in the little gym there and he got me on a treadmill and he um, he got me up to a jog. Then he put it down one notch and said, power walk. Like, swing your arms, really go for it. And he went, I'll be back in an hour. And I, I sort of, I sort of <laughs> where's he gone? And I'm, so I'm going like this mad, like swinging my arms everywhere on this treadmill. Five minutes, this sweat going up the window in front of me and everywhere. And I think, it's just a joke, isn't it? And my legs are killing me. And I'm thinking, it's got me, I'm waiting for Jeremy Beadle to jump out, all the other players. <laughs> after, you know? um, so I've done that for an hour. I'm, dry, I'm drenched in sweat. 
uh, done a few weights. He come back. We done a few weights. He, sh- he he said to me basically do a similar sort of thing to the Atkins diet, but not as extreme. Um, don't any, eat any vegetables that grow underground because they've got starch in. But you do that if you, if you haven't got midweek game. Do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. All that sort of training and eating. He said Thursday, Friday, eat what you want because you've got to get stuff back into you for the weekend's game. So I've done that, and honestly, within a month, I'm always remember Nathan Jones coming in because Nathan Jones was a fitness freak. I don't think I ever see him eat anything rotten. You know, he, he, boys be eating crisps. He'll he'll have uh, sugar snap peas as a snack. You know that sort of thing. And and he was like a, you know, he could run. He was like a marathon runner. But I always remember him coming training one day, and when I took my top off, and he went, he sort of looked at me and went, "I can see stomach muscles." He went, <laughs> he was all sort of like laughing. Went, where? <laughs> So he, yeah, so I started to lose loads and loads of like body fat and weight, and I felt magic. I felt really good. I got player of the season that year, um, and I felt really good. And I'd, I'd done it the following season as well, and uh, it started to get harder and harder because the me, me shin started to ache and things like that. So he he sort of uh, said, look, when you do it for an hour, uh, walk for a kilometer, jog for a kilometer. He said it breaks it up. So I'd done that. It felt perfect, and it suited me. Um, but still sort of, you know, I wouldn't say tired. It's the wrong phrase. It was sort of like, you could tell I was getting a little bit, oh, this is monotonous, you know, same thing. So he used to devise things in training for me. Like um, we'd do sprints and obviously I'm not the quickest in the world. And we, we'd sort of get in rows of five and you'd have a, a sprint, 10-yard sprint. And whoever won stayed in that thing or went up a division, whoever lost went down a division. So after five races, you normally got the quick ones in the Premier League at the front. Behind them, we called the Championship. And then it went all the way down to, like, Dog and Duck League, I think we called it. And you <laughs> have the keepers on the slowies in there, you know. I'm in the Premier League. I'm in the Premier League. I'm winning the Premier League ones. And everyone's going, what's going on here? What, why? How? And what he used to do, he used to, he used to say to me, he used to put his hands on his hips and say, what's my finger? When I go like that, you go. And I'll say, literally, so you go, go. And that little split second... Of him putting his finger out, I'm off. And then he says, go. So it doesn't look like I'm cheating, but I've got a literally a split second start. And over 10 yards, doesn't matter how slow you are, you'd win them. I was winning them. People were catching me up on the line and I'm running around going, get in, come on, slow <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. But it was like, it gave me such a boost. It was brilliant. The way he'd done it, it was fantastic man management, the way he'd done it. Um, I've seen him a few times here and we, we have a little bit of a giggle about it. Um, but yeah, it was it was amazing, you know, just to think that he, he took his time out to sort of like, and it extended my career, but I, I still think he put an extra two or three years on my career um, just by doing that. So it was a great gesture from him. Um, and yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, that was my start. Yeah, because you played to the age of 39, didn't you, in the end? Was that right? Just touching. I was 30, I think I was 38. I would have been, I was probably about a month, month or two behind 39. So 2008, wasn't it? So I would have been, yeah. It was uh, my I'm October. So if I'd have made it to October, I'd have been 39. Yeah. And you went on to play Conference South Haven at Waterloo. Well, that was rather convenient for where you live, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but where I was, but um, I was only there for a year. I had a lot of injury problems by then. My calf started to go a little bit, getting old. I, went, I started when I when I gave up professionally. I went and started to work straight onto the what is now called Foundation. It's a community scheme at the time. Uh, for the football club, so I went from obviously training full time to sitting at a desk doing whatever I've got to do, and training Tuesday and Thursday evening, which didn't suit me. 
my calves used to seize up and do whatever, and age caught up with me. So I, I managed that for a year. Then I went to Winchester City. I went alone to Lewis, sorry, when I was at Avon yeah. with Danny. Plan zero. We kindled my um, times back with Danny Cullet, which was great. Um, we were punching above our weight in that league. We we lost. I think that, that, I can't even remember winning any games, but we had we had a great time. We, we yeah, it was good. Good to rekindle the old relationship with Danny, and then obviously Danny came and worked with me on the with the with the foundation side of it as well. Um, and then and then I ended up in City playing under eventually under Glenn Cockrell, who who all of a sudden. Uh, the chairman decided to get rid of and just asked me if I fancy going into management. So I just sort of, that's when I hung my boots up really. I was about 40, 41. Um, and once you stop, you, there's no chance of coming back at that age. So that was me done. Yeah. Went on to sort of do a little bit of assistant manager at Eastleigh. We were flying now in the National League. They're doing quite well. Um, but they went, obviously when you start going into National League football, you go full-time more often than not. I think there's only probably one or two like Dorking that are not full-time. So, because I, I, I worked on a foundation, I had to sort of give that up, really. And, yeah, so I've sort of worked on a foundation ever since. 15 years, been doing that now. Because, it, obviously, it was originally called Albion in the community, well known as that back yeah. in the day. Obviously, as you said, you then went back out to a couple of other bits football-wise. Came back to the Albion, I think, beginning of October 2012, wasn't it? And at some point thereafter, it changed into the name Foundation, which um, is what it is today. Um, yep. They've changed it all around. So... You've you've had a long association with the club on and off, haven't you? Now, which is great. 20, 20, yeah, twenty-one years. 21 yeah, years now. fantastic yeah. stuff. Just yeah, I love it. So, like I say, I live in Southampton and I travel across every day. So, I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't, you know, believe in, the, in what they do. So it's um, yeah. Quite well, I studied in uh, Southampton when I was living in Worthing, my hometown. So I kind of know the, the the route fairly well. I don't think much has changed. You get annoying bottlenecks here and there, don't you, on the way? Oh. Chichester and Worthing, it's just, oh. I found the old sort of uh, routes where you can go to back ways and try all different places, you know, different different sort of routes that keep you moving. So, but uh, yeah, I find if you sort of, if you can get through certain places at a certain time, then you should normally be all right, barring any accidents. But when the wet weather comes in, it's not great. <laughs> I, love, I love the way you moved to Southampton when you were in Portsmouth. Was that just a wind up for everyone or something? Well, the, the funny thing is, a lot of the boys lived over here. It's a place called Hedge End, which is just outside Southampton. And uh, yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot of the players lived here. A lot of Saints players lived here as well. Some still do. Warren Aspinall still lives here as well. Who does the uh, the radio mm-hmm. for the Brighton yeah. games? Um, but I was told, a uh, don't live in Portsmouth because if you get a bad result, <laughs> it's a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> B a lot of the boys lived over this way, and C uh, they had a training ground was by Eastleigh Football Club, so we trained over this direction as well. Um, so it wasn't too bad. It was only like the next junction up where they trained. So it made well, sense. You want it nearer training than the stadium, don't you? Because yeah. logistically, you're going there four, yeah. five times a week. And 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 like I said, I, I know a couple of lads that lived in the area uh, of Portsmouth, and when they had a bad result, it's like you literally can't come out. You can't even go to the supermarket. People are in there. You know, it's like they're sort of passionate about it, um, for want of a better phrase. <laughs> so being out of it a little bit is not too bad. And also, I felt, I've always sort of done that. Even when I was at Gillingham, I sort of lived here still. I've, I used to travel in quite a lot. Ian Chapman, um, ex-Brighton player, uh, was at Gillingham at the time. And he managed to convince me the quickest route to get to Gillingham was via Brighton and pick him up. So <laughs> which I found out, which was a total load of old rubbish. Um, but yeah, so I, but there was there was a lad that used to live down... Um, 
by uh, up by the M25, by the M3. So I used to sort of go that way as well. So there's two or three of us that used to meet and and, and sort of drive in from there. I, I did move up to Ashford for a year, but couldn't really settle. The family couldn't settle. So we moved back and I sort of stayed up with the kit man night before a game, that sort of thing, you know, and so I, so I wasn't tired for games. Um, and then obviously travelled across when I played for Brighton. Um, I think Adam Inchwood was Selsey Way. Um, and it was, I think it was, uh, Robbie Peffick, obviously, when, when I first signed, he was around this way, so we used to jump in together. So there was two or three of us that used to break that training up, uh, the, the journey up as well. So yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. On the album, two or three things you mentioned, uh, Hinchair, actually, Adam Hinchwood, doing a cracking job at Worthing. It's my hometown club. I've, uh, I mean, Brian's really the, the full, part of my heart really but Worthing's got a special place for me as well being the hometown and they've, they've I'm having a bit of a sticky spell at the moment but overall he's done a phenomenal job there hasn't he used to with him. I think he's I think he was in line for the someone was, tap, or was interested in getting him for the Eastley job as well over this way when Lee Bradbury left um but yeah he's done a great job over there like you say um you know some some of them some of them teams in that division are paying out a lot of money for the players you know um they're getting like the pick of the the crop as such, and he's done a yeah tremendous job there. And obviously, how old does it make you feel when you see his son getting in the first team? <laughs> I used to run with it. I used to run with Adam. We had some yeah, it was good. We had, we had some good times in the old uh, room together, and that was some good laughs. But when you see his son, yeah, you go, oh god, I remember when he was born. It just makes you feel so old. Yeah, no, does it? No, and he's doing really, he's doing really well. He's doing brilliantly, you know, to get on yeah. the fringe in the first team, which I love. You know, the manager's willing to give you for chance as well. It's fantastic. Yeah. On a couple of other bits you mentioned, you mentioned the Pompey game. I know you said it was a 4-2. That was Harry Redknapp here at Pompey, wasn't it? And um, I was at that game. I think we were about out of our depth, really, in that match, to be honest. Over yeah. The I mean, I think every team that played them was, they had immersed, you know, your Mersons and all them boys that, that ended up joining them that year. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, but to, to actually go 2-1 up, and I still don't think it was a penalty. I saw the, um, when when you come out and sort of drive home, there's a Hilton Hotel on the uh by Farlet and Services up there where the referees normally stay. And I remember going there after a game and they're all sort of lording it over and, you know, there's a couple of Pompey players there. Or, and you just think, I don't know. It, just, it didn't feel right anyway, but you just sort of, yeah, it's what it is, what it's like. I didn't think it was a penalty. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was good to go back there, though, you know, sort of play, play there in front of a big crowd again because obviously they had a good team, so they were flying. So, yeah, yeah but, um, yeah, like you say, time's changed. One of the other players, you mentioned the 5-0 Selhurst, and I was at that game as well. We haven't played him for so many years, and then to have to wait that long, and then for it to be that painful was horrendous. And that bloody Stanier announcer going on about Andrew Johnson, oh, God. Uh, but, but again, I got, blamed for, I got blamed for some of the goals, didn't even play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So I said, there's no excuse, guy, really, isn't I know. <laughs> Um But, of course, we had a much better time there when uh, Paul McShane was on loan, and he scored inverted commas, scored, scored. it came off the defender's shoulder or something, didn't it, in the end? Yeah, I think so. But, yeah, again, like you say, I think we were delayed getting there. I think the coach was delayed. Some said, can can we not jump off a wall? I was like, jumping out here, mate. Um, But, yeah, yeah. And, again, I think we were under the cosh quite a lot of the game. But, uh, we, you know, that sort of era, we always fancied ourselves to to nick nick goals, you know, from a set piece or something. Um, And I think we had... 
going back to like the West Ham games and things like that, and that season when we got promoted and we stayed in the Championship, you look back at the squad and some of the players, we've got Steve Claridge on loan, who probably was about 85 at the time. Um, we've got Bergs playing up front, you know, it's like we, we just got a, a proper ragtag bunch of blokes. But if you actually knew us and, and see what we were like day to day, I think you'd understand why we used to drag out results because... We, we sort of had a never-say-die attitude. We all stuck together. We all sort of had a laugh in training. We all sort of, you know, we worked hard for each other. It was it was brilliant. Great team spirit. We had, uh, going back to the old days, I mean, these these were still the days when we could have, still have a drink after a game. So, um, you know, I always remember we, we got in our, um, like, players' fines. We used to get players' fines to get a trip at the end of the season or something. So in there was, you had, you had to go into a players' lounge, home or away, you had to go in there and have a drink, but not necessarily alcoholic. Some of the young lads didn't drink, but you had to go in there. So if you didn't, you got fined. So I remember playing Leeds away, and uh, I think it was Gary Kelly, I think, was their fullback. He was the only Leeds player. He was the only person in there, really. And all us lot come steaming in, you know, a few of the older players were having a beer and that. And he, and he was like, I can't believe that you're all in here. He said, that's fantastic. He said, I come in here after every game. He said, I'm the only one in here from now on. He said, they all go home or they do whatever. He said, we're completely fractured. He said, new lot, look at you all sticking together. He bought us all a drink, which one of the young lads didn't want. I went, have a beer, go on. <laughs> Make sure you have a lager. I managed to get an extra pint. But um, yeah, so we that, that that's what we had. We had a great team spirit. I remember, I think Steve Coppel, I think Mark McGee would agree with you. It might even have been Mark as well saying it, that um, with them lads that you had in the change room, like your Danny, you know, Danny, your Charlie's, your uh, Chippy, Artie Kerry, Watto, all them sort of boys. Um, you had uh, a lot of older pros in there that looked up. They they policed the changing room for the manager. So the manager could concentrate on other stuff that he's got to do. He didn't have to worry about anyone stepping out of line, you know, because we had a fine system in place or you had older players that would tell you. They, they were pretty straight, you know. Um, sort of the last of the old school players, if you know what I mean, uh, that were brought up cleaning boots and having to do all the menial stuff that we had to do as apprentices, which kept you on the level. We then sort of give our experience to them younger lads and said, look, you know, you, on the pitch, you do whatever you got to do, but off the pitch, you, you behave, you know, if you're going to have a drink, go and go somewhere where no one's going to see you, you know, don't be stupid, don't sort of, you know, flaunt it and whatever, you know, keep keep on a straight and narrow. Um, anything that went off in training, we sort of all jumped in and made sure it was policed quite well. And you could tell, I think you could tell that season when we were on the pitch, we're all sort of fighting hard for each other. Yeah. Uh, you, I've got to call you up on one thing, though, Guy. You're talking about a ragtag bunch. You're talking about Adam Virgo, £1.5 million <laughs> player there. I remember when he come in, when Mark McGee come in, and we, everyone was sort of like, the rumour had gone around that he'd gone. Um, yeah. And it was sort of Mark McGee and Gordon Strachan were best mates, weren't they? You know, it was one of them ones. What's going on here? And Mark went, you know, Virgo's gone. Yeah, yeah. Virg, he sort of called a meeting in the change room and said, look, Virgo's just sold Virgs. Celtic, and everyone went, was like, oh, Celtic, I mean, that's good, that's a great move, isn't it? You know, one of them ones. And he went, 1.25 million or whatever it was, and everyone just started laughing. Everyone just like wetting themselves laughing and was like, what's that, Lira? Like, what? <laughs> um, you know, it was like, well, I wonder if, yeah, don't know if there was a card up there. We had Dick Knight up at Seagulls over London. Um, it's quite a few years ago, but went way after the situation. And he was telling us about that. He was he said it was something to do with their, you know, they, you could tell they were doing them up like a kipper, really. But I think Celtic were going, mm, don't know about this guy, I'm not sure who he is, I don't think he's really worth that. 
and Gordon Strachan was really pushing it, going, no, 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 he's worth it. It's about <laughs> potential, blah, 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 whatever, you know, and um, persuaded him to spend the money. Absolutely. But again, it just goes to prove, doesn't it, Leo, like Stickberg's up front. It's it's one of them ones. When you used to do tra- in training, everyone used to, the goalkeepers used to think they were forwards and defenders used to think they were forwards and, you know, wingers and all this sort of stuff. So we used to play used to play sort of uh, defensively attack games and, you know, so defenders always used to win them because the attackers couldn't defend, obviously, and defenders always used to be glorified left wingers like myself in the old days. But, um, yeah, so, no, we, we, you know, good luck with him. It was it was a great move for Vergs. I don't know how it worked out for him up there. I think he think he done quite well out of it personally. But, um, yeah, no, you, you never begrudge anyone going. He was on fire, wasn't he, like that season for us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we had some great results. I mean, remember Leicester away when he scored. Yes. Um, Sheffield United away when when um I think it was was it Leon or someone popped up. Leon, and, yeah. You know, and, and it was just we just used to come in floods and laugh though. It was like we just wetting ourselves in the change. How did, how did we win that? You know, it was just like how did we win that? West Ham, you know, absolute Alamo. I mean I've scrambles in the, you know like when the old scrambles in the gold mouth when it was it was what it was like and then when it went out for corner you you look around and Adam Inch was laughing his head off or someone's laughing. It's like, how did that go in? <laughs> it's so funny. Well, I was going to come on to that because um, a lot of Albion fans will claim to be at certain events and they'll claim to have um, had money on certain scenarios. I have to say, genuinely, I tick all three boxes here. One of them is Gary Nelson with the amazing goal away at Brentford in the late 80s, which for your time at the Albion, but an amazing goal, which unfortunately was never captured on camera. So it's now escalated in myth. You know, he's, he's taken on 132 players and, and, you know, just done miracles with the ball. It was a brilliant goal, I must admit. But then again, you know, real time, and that's the only time you ever see it. And then memory over years, who knows what it was like. I think it was a pretty good goal. The other two were betting ones. One of them was Paul McShane with the uh, with that aforementioned goal we were talking about, uh, where um, I put we, – we had weird odds on centre-back scoring back then. You don't get yeah. those same odds now. They're about 20s, aren't they now? But yeah. it used to be about 40 to 1. And yeah. I remember McShane had scored an own goal, and I thought, I fancy him in a scrappy game against Palace. He's going to score. And so I put him down as first goal scorer, put a tenner on, looked at the odds. It was 50 to 1. So I thought, oh, even better. You know, it's better odds than normal. So – you know, put that on. Of course, he scores a goal or it's given as his goal anyway, which <laughs> makes it better. And I'd been panicking, thinking, hang on a minute, what if it's, it might be another goal? I ended up putting another tenner on him, same odds for the last goal. So when we scored, it went absolutely nuts because we haven't played him for years. Absolutely crazy celebration. I was rows and rows away from where I started when the, when the goal went in. And then you realise, hang on, I've won 500 quid here. And then, of course, the game finishes, and then you're delighted with that. Then you remember you won that money, and then you're walking back, and then thinking, "Hang on a minute, I put the other bet on, didn't I? Didn't I put didn't I put the other bet on or not? I can't remember if I did it." So I phoned the wife because it was before smartphones were really fully on. So you had to I had to phone her to get a, to have a look on the internet. I said, "Oh, can you just have a look and see if I've got about one thousand and something pounds in my account?" She goes, "Oh, oh yes, you have. Yeah, so I won. I got fifty to one on." 10 quid on each. I think you were brave enough to tell her that you've got a thousand pound on a winning bet. You've that'd have been pinched and spent. That was a bad move, wasn't it? Yeah. So, so I won, I won a grand there, which is the most I've ever won on a single Albion game. And then, of course, we had the West Ham match where, um, again, you, you've told us before at our meetings and things we've, you've, you've been at that everyone comes up to you and says they won money on your goal. Yeah. And I can't I've loads, even in the last week, loads of people. 
I think I won 200 quid on that as well. So that's the third of my, well, my hat trick of, <laughs> of uh, claims, which are genuine, genuine. But I can't tell you how, how happy I was when you scored that goal, even more <laughs> than the average Albion fan. Well, we, we literally, we, we, um, we met up at a hotel in, I think it was Gunwolf, down that way for, for, um, same hotel, you know, Lasagna Gate, Tottenham. Oh, yes. Um, so we, so we had pre-match there. I never used to have pre-match. So I used to eat a big breakfast and then have a banana or something on the way. Um, but I always remember Danny saying to me, he didn't feel great. He ate something, I think, and he didn't feel great. So we, we got on the coach on the way to the uh, stadium and, they're notorious for doing it, West Ham. They always used to put, on the players' entrance as you go in, they always used to put this biggest copper you've ever seen in your life. He's about six foot eight, and he's about six foot eight wide as well. He's massive. And he had his hat on as well, so he's about nine foot tall. And um, so it's, I don't know if it's to intimidate you or not. I'm not sure. But as so I'm sort of milling around and getting my bag off and that. And as I've walked in the changing room, um, there's people coming in with buckets and mops and that. And Danny's been sick all over the floor, cut long story short. So he's, he's literally been sick. He didn't even know if he was going to play. But Danny being Danny, you know, he's like, I'm playing, don't worry about it. Um, and obviously played magnificent during the game. So, uh, you know, we, we've got like first 10 minutes, is all I can remember. Well, even just looking at their team as well, you know, you're like, oh, God, here we go. But the first 10 minutes, I think they hit the post, it, whatever they hit, keepers pulling off saves. Scrambles going off everywhere, and it, well, it might even have been twenty minutes. I don't know. It just seemed relentless, wave after wave after wave after wave, and then obviously second half, same sort of stuff. We settled more into the game. I think Ferguson, didn't Ferguson, one of their players get sent off. Did Fletcher? Was Ferguson? it Mullins? Hayden Mullins? Was it someone like that? Money? Is it Mullins? Or yeah. Someone, it uh, yeah. Got uh, got sent off. Um, so yeah, so so right up against it, and then obviously with a, it was a wide free kick, wasn't it? I think Chippy was on it, and normally yeah. he he whips a great ball in, and and for some reason I don't because Steve Cambridge was on loan. I'm not sure if he knew that we just whip it in or whatever. He went for a short one, and I was quite surprised. I watched it back, obviously. Um, I was quite surprised that Chippy actually played in the ball to get it back, but it worked perfectly because he he set it back on just a slight little angle, which gave Chippy the opportunity to put. The, I mean, the the ball was could have hit it any better. In on the goal, and I just remember watching the flight thinking. You get that feeling and go, hello, I'm in business here. And I remember their player getting underneath it a little bit. And I thought, he's not got, he's, he's too much underneath it. So as you go, you try and get like, you know, a little bit of, use him as a bit of a ladder, get your knee in his back, get above him. I was taught again, going back to the old days when you were young, Terry Fennick, always get your arm above their arm. They can't out jump you. Yeah. So I remember yeah. thinking that all these things go through your mind in a, literally like that in a split second, get above him, bank. And to see it go in, and I've seen it on the telly as well, and you just see all these arms and legs going, man, it's brilliant. Oh, what a feeling. You know, and then it was a case of hanging on again. They brought Red Rov on, didn't they? They brought Bobby Zamora on. They brought, you know, whoever else on. And it was just like complete Alamo again. And we, we held on. And it was just, again, in, I was just remembering the change room. Everyone just sitting there laughing. How did we win that? You know, how did we win that? And then, of course, then it, it sort of, you get on the coach to go back to Gunwolf to get your cars wherever they were. And, all of a sudden, you, you're going down a road and you're being chased down the road by the West Ham fans. And you can hear the bang, bang, bang on the coach like that. And you're saying to the driver, just go, mate, drive. And he stops at a red light. And you can see all these West Ham fans running down the street after you, catching up with you, going bang, boot, bang on the coach. So he goes again, stops at the next red light. So as soon as you're pulling away, you're going, eh, like waving at all and all this sort of stuff. 
he's pulled up at the next red light. They're catching you up. You know, oh, I hope they don't chase us all the way back to where the cars are. Um, I think Steve Claridge got a train there, left his car at Basingstoke, got clamped. So he had his kid. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it was. And I, 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 it must have been some sort of bug going around because I remember getting it that next day. I was ill. Um, some sort of sickness bug going around. Mal, Mal it's the same hotel where the, where the pasta gate was. Yeah. I think they hotel. might need to get some health and safety. Uh, yeah. I always remember it being the same hotel and it was a bit weird that we had, yeah, a really sickness sort of going around. But um, I did, but like I said, I didn't eat the pre match meal there, so I don't know whether it must have just been a bug. Um, but yeah, like I said, my dad, West Ham fan, you know, he sort of. You know, what do you do? Congratulations, you you get or something. It's like, yeah, what do you do? Um, but yeah, no, it's great. Uh, I mean, who else? Leeds, Leeds away. I think I scored one all up there. That was another one when um, Kevin Blackwell was their manager. And we walked along, the, got dropped off at their ground, got in down the corridor to the changing rooms. And I remember holding the door open, opening the door, and he'd come the other way. So I sort of held it open for him. And as he walked through, he went, oh, thanks, like that. And as I sort of went to walk through, there was a steward behind me and I heard him go, I heard Blackwell go to the steward. Who's that? Like that. And they both laughed. And, and I thought it's a bit disrespectful. Like, you know, a bit sort of thing. Anyway, one little down. I think it was the Yeldell game, wasn't it? When he had the pink, pink goalies top one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, he was, so we're getting stick left, right and centre. And, I, and I, I think it was Jonesy again, balling, bang, Edda. And I remember seeing him in the corridor afterwards and I went, you know who I am now, didn't you? Like that. But not in them bit stronger words <laughs> than, than that. Uh, which, yeah, greatly satisfying at the time. And, yeah, just brilliant, you know. One of them sort of, another ground we've gone to with a massive capacity stadium, which, you know, quite intimidating and that, and actually put the put the silences on them. I think the, I think the following year, we, I think we drew three all. We were three one up. Um and another game where they brought just everyone on. Healy come on, who who broke the Irish record, I think, or something, or equaled the Irish record. Uh, uh, yeah, so we were just competing against all these teams. And like I say, Leicester away, Dion Dublin playing, uh, what's his name in goal? Uh, Walker in goal. Um, yeah, Ian Walker in goal. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. 3 3 games. said Carroll scored a Champions League style classic as well. Was that, was yeah. that right? Yeah. Brilliant goal. It's just yeah. a team goal. Boom, 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 bam. I thought, well, I remember that Millennium Stadium when we did win the playoff game. Um, the team talk from Mark McGee, he didn't have to say anything. He just, it, it was a flip chart in the, in the uh, as you walked in, was, everyone was like looking at this flip chart, what's that? And all he'd done, he'd already pre-done it. He just turned over the page and went, grounds that you're going to be playing at if you don't win and grounds that you'll be playing at if you do win. And it's like, <laughs> you've got, you know, no disrespect to any of them, scum fault or whoever you've got on there, Walsall, you know, all that sort of stuff. And on the other one, you've got West Ham, you've got Leicester, you've got Southampton, you've got blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's just, you didn't have to say anything else. You just looked at that and went, where do I want to be playing next year? You know, it's just such a great, great, like I say, he was brilliant at doing things like that. Tremendous. It was a brilliant game, but what a great day. It was, it was an awful game. And we, we, after the game, we went back to a hotel around the corner where all the friends and family were. Um, and I think by then the cup had got bent, and I got accused of that as well. It wasn't me, but got bent cup. We're having pictures taken of it, and then wasn't it Dick to, to blame for that? I think it was because it's, it's on the pitch. It's bent yeah. on the pitch. I've seen a picture of it. The stem bits all bent round. Um, and so we all got the uh, after that. All the families have gone home. Um, my my I had a load of friends. My family 
treating them. Uh, my fa- I think my father-in-law might have t- treated them. Uh, got a limousine to the game. Um, load of my mates come up from West London, QPR fans, but they wanted to come. Um, they came to Wembley, watched me at Gillingham, so they thought we'd come down to the Millennium. Um, and as it goes down the M4, it bottlenecks, doesn't it, when you get towards Wales. And my mum wound down a window to get a bit of fresh air from the limousine, and five yards away, this bloke's having a wee, and it's my best mate. <laughs> my best mate. She's gone, look at that bloke there. And as he's turned around, it's my best mate. I said, don't you recognise his face? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so they were down there. And I remember spraying the policeman with the team, with the photos after. It was brilliant. Yes, yeah. um, I nearly missed out on the photos because I was spraying this policeman on the back of the head. Um, but to get the coach back down to Brighton, and Mark McGee said, look, who wants to come around mine? You know, a bit of a celebration. And, and by then... Adrenaline had worn off quite a few of the people, so loads of lads just wanted to go home and go sleep. There was me, I remember me, uh, Adam Inchwood, Ben Roberts, and Dean White was there. Uh, all went back to Mark's to watch the game. And like you say, first half, at half time, Mark went, I'm watching this, this is crap, I'm going to bed. <laughs> like that. So we're, we're in right, right on the seafront. What do we do? We've got our club suits on and our bags. So we, we got like three quarters of a case of lager. So we got, what do we do? So we kicked out of his flat. What do we do? And, like, and all of a sudden, we looked around the corner, and there's these people walking down the road with these luminous whistles and bands and that, like blowing them. Wow, it's full of them. And it was on the beach. I've tried to find it since then. All I can describe it was there was a load of pillars sticking out of like a cliff face on the beach, and it looked like I don't know, it looked like some sort of museum thing. But it was on the on the beach. It was weird. Oh yeah, and it was uh, going on. I think it's east of the <laughs> town a bit somewhere there. That was a marina, I think. Yeah, yeah. We sort of um, we ended up in this rave with our club suits on, ties round, club ties round our heads like Rambo, <laughs> our bags dancing around our bags like women. Um, and we stayed there all night. Sun started to come up. We went to Buddies, what well, well, used to be Buddies, I don't know what it's called now. Had a breakfast. And you, I got pictures of us three posing, and it's dark, lighter, lighter, and it's light. And then we had a team meeting at ten o'clock next morning. I don't even think I went to bed. That's the proper yeah. to do that. Oh, one. mate, it was brilliant. Yeah. Warm, yeah. warm lager by then. It was chaos. Sun's like come up, which made the lager even warmer. But yeah, just great. No one wanted to party. It was like, come on, we, we, you don't get this, you know, these know chances that often. You get that sometimes. It, it doesn't go as you think it's going to go. And other times, it, it goes full on. Yeah. Straight out of the blue, doesn't it? Yeah. Kerry Mayo, I think, on the team bus, we were both standing at the back having a beer, and it was boiling hot on there. And I said, pull, pull the old vent up, mate, boiling on here. And he's pushed it so hard, it's come off on the motorway. It's flying down the motorway. I don't know if someone's managed to avoid it behind us. That's gone flying down the motorway. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, it's silly little things that you remember, isn't it? Yeah, happy days, happy days. And in terms of uh, your career, just look, reflecting on that, just, I mean, it's a cliche question, but I've got to ask it. Most challenging opponents, who, who do you, I'm, I'm presuming you're talking about the smaller, pacey, nippy, kind of, Jinky yeah, type. I mean, go oh. back to that, Matt. Um, sorry, the uh, Wembley game for Gillingham. It was um, Paul Dickoff played up front from uh, absolute little pest. Did he come on loan at Brighton years yeah, ago? Yeah, he did. He was on loan. He's an absolute little pest. He would non-stop chase you, uh, harangue you, put the old elbows in. Tough little player. Um, he was he was quite problematic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Mark Hughes. I played against Mark Hughes. I played. Uh, funny enough, someone sent me a program the other day of a. Uh, um, another, I think it was another testimonial against, I, I, I want to say Bordeaux, 
or was it Monaco? One of them, or Marseille, actually. Um, Eric Cantona. Eric Cantona played. Right, before right. Leeds and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, Mark Hughes was obviously a great competitor. Uh, give it out as well as he could take it. Um, playing against Billy Whitehurst, there's a name from the past. Yeah. Who yeah. quite well known for putting it about a bit. Played against him in a, in a friendly. Um Thankfully, you know, you just wanted to play the game the right way. <laughs> but um, yeah, some tough, tough players. Uh, and again, you know, you you play, you could play against Bristol Rovers away, and there'll be, you know, a, a West Saunders or a, you know, a, a quick player for them who give you just as many, many problems as someone from a top league. Um, but yeah, no, like you say, you know, it was it was a good era to play when I played because you sort of you battled. You was allowed to tackle in them days. You could put it about a bit. You got it as well. But after the game, you shook hands and, like you say, you could go in the players' lounge and have a good chat and a natter and a beer over it. Um, I feel sorry, not sorry so much because obviously the wages are totally different. But nowadays, I don't, you know, I feel a bit sorry for the players because I don't know how they get that release from the game. Um, you know, I think that it, it, it was quite nice to be able to blow off a bit of steam after games in my day. I don't know what they do nowadays. Um, whether they whether they do indoors or whatever they do, I don't know. It's not. All the social media stuff around nowadays, it must be difficult for them. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how they cope with all that. But then, you know, the backroom staff side of it is probably quadrupled in size from when I played, even probably more than that. Um, you know, you're getting all these sort of psychologists nowadays and player liaison officers and blah, blah, blah. Uh, we never had any of that in my day. So you just sort of, you know, if you had a problem and, you, you know, you just told to man up in them days, totally sort of archaic and dinosaur-like. Yeah. Yeah. If you're quite a balanced individual, I think you can get through that and just enjoy that for what it was at the time. Yes, you may not have had the benefits, but you would have enjoyed your career. Um, obviously, you have, you have players like uh, Gazzo, who's at Spurs with you, um, who's had his troubles, it goes without saying, but was quite a larger-than-life character. And I, I remember you told us a couple of stories about him. Just quickly got to go on to that. There was something about um, a goose in the changing rooms and something about... Um, <laughs> Uh, something to do with a kipper, someone walking down the street, was it? Or, or he some... done, uh, he done an Eric Torsford, put an ostrich in the change room because he found out he didn't like uh, the feathered variety of birds and actually done a poo in his gloves before a game. <laughs> so I think Eric put one in the goal mouth and then Gazza had pooed in his gloves. Um, we uh, we done a This Is Your Life for Eric Torsford. Me and Gazza went out to Norway. He's basically, he was like the Gary Lineker of Norway. So, um, uh, you know, he, 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 it was a this is your life version. So me and then uh, Gaz got invited out. I didn't, know, I couldn't understand why I got invited out. But on his debut, Eric's debut, it was live on the telly. It's Knott's Forest, and he's he basically fumbled a howler in the back of the net. And because I sat next to him in the change room, I was like, "Don't worry about it, mate. I scored in my own net on my debut. Don't worry." Um, but unbeknownst to me, he put it in his autobiography that it helped him. You know, because everyone else was just blanking him and that. Um, so I got invited out there. So. Obviously, you've got to keep out of the way. It's a surprise. And so we, we, me and Gaz were trying to find a toilet. And we heard sort of like a noise come around the corner. So we sort of dived in the door. And it was the wardrobe department. So, of course, Gaz is dressed up as a cowboy. <laughs> He's put a cowboy outfit on. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's just, yeah, some of the things he used to do was brilliant. And then we obviously were on the stage. And he was telling him about the, you know, um, about the ostrich. And Eric went, yeah, what about when you pooed in your gloves? Um, <laughs> but he used to do it. I mean... We we went away to Norway once, and he, we we went into some room. I think we thought it was a toilet or something, and I don't even know how we what they were for. There was a load of blonde wigs in there, 
So, of course, he's put one on to come out. You know, Paul Walsh at the time had massively long hair down here. Yeah. He's come out. Shorts rolled over about 10 times, eye up, you know, legs on show. With his blonde wig on, pretending to be Walshy. Um, I think he'd done the same with David Ginnard when he signed for Everton. I think he put a wig on. And, yeah, so he was just non-stop. It was every day. There was no, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't rest. I think the, the best one I heard, I wasn't actually there, but the best one I heard was when he was doing a shooting practice after training. And he smashed the ball and it went over the fence. And he went, I'll go and get it. And he never come back. And the next day, no one knows where he is. And as the lads are warming up, he jumped back over the fence with a ball under his arm, made out that he'd been there all night and went and found it like that, you know. Who thinks <clears throat> who thinks like that? You know, it's genius, isn't it? Completely eclectic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's football's genius. And I think those those minds that, that spawn those sort of players are just a different a different yeah. breed on. I mean, you know, how do you define, I think someone said it, haven't they? How do you, def, how do you define genius? You know, it, he, he could do things that people couldn't do. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, they might have said daft as a brush and this, that and the other, but he used to do stuff on the pitch that, I mean, when I came out of the youth team, it was sort of, you know, you play like, I, I played about a month or two of reserve football before I got in the first team. So you're sort of brought up from that youth team and almost reserve mentality of, playing balls to people safe side so that defenders can't get and tackle them. Or, you know, sometimes if someone's too tight to them, you're not on, I've got to give it somewhere else. When I've done that in the first team, he'd be on me. Give me the ball. But you've got a man right up, you know, right up marking you. Give, give me that ball like that. And you, after a while you think, oh, okay, I'll give him the ball if he gets muller than that. If someone tackles him, it's up to him. But I'd never see him lose it. You just fire one into him and he's touching. He just dropped his shoulder and he, he's just gone. He's, you know... I've seen him score goals with bet with his foot, foot hanging, you know, his, his boots off, and he's got he's got his sock flapping. <laughs> you know, he's just he, he scored a goal against Luton away um, on their plastic pitch where he ran near enough the length of the pitch. I think we were defending the corner. It broke him on the edge of our box. He ran the whole length of the pitch, took two players on, and just it was just unbelievable. You know, some of the stuff I've watched and I thought I was so fortunate to play alongside him and. You had Chris Waddle there at the time, who, who I've got. A, I've got a compilation of the goals from that season, and it's just every game they just get better and better. There's thirty yarders flying in top corners and things like that, and then they signed Gary Dineker, and you're like, when we, we signed Gary Dineker from Barcelona, and we had a pre-season was out in. We went. We went to. Um, we went to Norway, then we flew back to Ireland, then we flew out to Spain. And Gary Linick is there, and I remember getting him to try and order me a pizza because he speaks Spanish. So he's ordering me pizzas now in Spanish. So, you, but when you look back on it now, you just think, oh my god, you know, when he's on the telly all the time, he's just around these players. It just seems, like I said before, it just seems so surreal. But you're just so lucky; you don't realise how lucky you were. Yeah, a great career. It's been fantastic, and I'm really proud that you've been part of the Albion's history. It's great, and you're still with it now because you're uh, you're back involved. We talked about the foundation. Um, tell us a bit about what you're doing and um, and also about an event that's coming up as well. Yeah, I, I work, um, basically I work um, across the board, really. We've got so many different departments. We've got a health department. At the moment, we're running a dementia group. I'm sort of leading that up now. We've got a few ex-players on there and a few uh, supporters that come in. Uh, we It's called uh, Albion Memories, and we basically get everyone in and we just start talking about football. We have a load of ex um we have a lot of old programs on the table as well, so they can not sort of look through and hopefully it sparks some sort of memory. Um, we have, we have players come in as well and tell their stories, and you know it sparks off just general chat. We find that a lot of stuff from the past is recognisable. 
not so much, you know, modern day stuff. Um, so that's, that's rewarding. Uh, the PFA are heavily backing that as well. Um, and we've, we've sort of doing case studies on it, you know, because from what I'm led to believe, you know, footballers are, I think there's a study saying we're three and a half times or four, four times more likely to suffer from a form of dementia. Uh, when we're older, um, especially, unfortunately, people like Senator Arles, which I was, you know, great. Um, but yeah, you know, you wouldn't change it. Um, and then, yeah, so we, we do keep the weight off program for the health department as well, where we've got fans coming in and we, we've sort of you know, taught them how to healthy eat and exercise and they've lost lots of weight. Um, fundraising I'm working on at the moment, like you say, we've got an event coming up. I'll explain that in a, mi- in a bit more, uh, detail in a bit. Um, but yeah, we've got kicks projects where we've got a lot of, lot of, um, Children that are in sort of rough areas, you know, they haven't got the best start in life. Uh, we try and keep them on the straight and narrow. We mentor them as well. You know, we, we, we monitor what they do at school. Uh, we get them in and help them out with their numeracy and literacy um, and, and basically keep them on the, try and keep them on the straight and narrow. Um, school departments, disability departments, you know, where we're going in, we play power chair football games. It's just completely across the board. It's great. Um, and like I say, my main, my main role really is more on the fundraising side of things. Um, putting events on. We've got a uh, Christmas lunch coming up in December, Friday, 15th of December, day after the Marseille game. Um, it's a, a lunch from 12 till 4. With, uh, it's an Albion Legends lunch. We've got people like Alan Mullery in there, Indigo Calderons coming along, um, Mark McGee, you know, uh, Kerry Mayer, Gary Hart, uh, Glenn Murray uh, be making an appearance, hopefully. Um, yeah, players from the past, George Paris. Numerous, numerous players that will be there doing Q and A's, showing some clips on the screen, and having, generally having a good chat and a good laugh and a Christmas lunch. Uh, so we've got that coming up. We've, if you if you go on, you know, obviously trying to sell it as well. But if you go on the uh, website of Football Club, go onto the foundation uh, link, and all the details will be on there. Um, it, it'd be brilliant if, if if people could come along. Um, it's at the stadium, obviously. Uh, yeah, so just across the board, all all of it. I've, I've been in prisons where we've taught football in coaching badges in Lewis Prison on a on a twinning project thing that the Premier League have put on. So yeah, completely across everything, and I love every minute of it. I think it's great. Oh, yeah. It's brilliant. It's fantastic, and you must be proud to be part of that. I guess it's pretty. Oh, cool, it's amazing. It? I mean, like you say, no no two days are the same. Uh, you know, you, you see so many different people. Obviously, I've, I've bumped into you before because I let I host the lounges on a match day and do a bit in the museum as well, yes, uh, yes. which is great because I get to meet so many people as well. I'm sort of a people person. I like to see their stories as well, you know, um, and and just get people raise awareness of what we do in the community and how how good the football club's doing. And you know, it's as you, you've seen it all on the pitch. You know, the, the club's going from strength to strength, and always makes our job easier when they do that as well. Um, yeah. But as a collective, it's just it's brilliant. It's great to be around. Definitely. Um, I mean, you said bumping into me. It was getting a bit weird for a while, wasn't it? I saw you for about three games in a row. Yeah. I'm well, you me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what sort of indirectly prompted this, really. But um, <laughs> obviously, you know, we, we, we chatted about the album on the way to the car park. Um, and um, your thoughts, just for the record, on, on, you know, on the pod here, um, what do you think about this team? It's pretty bloody good, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that comes from the top. I think it's from the chairman downwards, chief executive, obviously, doing a fantastic job for the club. And also the manager. I think he's, you know, I thought we were quite good under Graham Potter anyway, and he's just took it to another level, wasn't he? I think I think the team is representative of what he's like as a person, if that makes sense. He's, yeah. It's almost like his personality is coming out on the pitch. Um, you know, the way they're competing for every ball, the way they're, they're 
the playing, the, the hunger. Um, we're going into games now thinking that we not only just compete with some of the big teams, we're actually going into games now thinking we can beat them as well. Um, yeah. And it just really, you know, look, you say, look at Dunkey getting in the England squad. I feel a bit sorry for Sonny March. I thought, he, you know, before he was injured, I, th- I wouldn't surprise me if sooner or later he'd have got a call up because I think he was on fire at one stage as well. Um, and it's just, yes, right, you know, got some internationals playing for the club now, um, full house every week. Um, you're going away from there actually entertained as well. I've watched some games in the Premier League this year and I'll sort of switch off sometimes at half time. You wouldn't be able to do that with a Brighton game. Uh, it's exciting for, for the whole 90 minutes. Yeah, and you mentioned Dunkley there, and obviously, you know, captain fantastic. He's a local boy, born and bred, whole career with the club, barring a very small um, loan to Bristol City, and it's it's been a superb story. And I'm so glad he's been part of this particular journey, going into Europe, doing the double over Ajax since we last spoke, and just superb stuff. It's absolutely brilliant. The only thing is, and I, I, let, let's say if you were Donkey's age now, and you were in this team, you were in this squad with... Deserby. Obviously, you, you love how things are going, but look at the stats. After Sheffield United, we've now scored in 29 consecutive games, but we've conceded in 16 consecutive games. Now, I know goalkeepers and defenders, it rankles, doesn't it? Conceding goals, not having clean sheets. Um, would you have tolerated that for what for what you get beyond with, with Roberto? I, yeah. You're old so. about that. You think, ah, I wanted a clean sheet. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's sort of, you know, I'm, I, I understand it's an entertainment business. I, I sort of, like I said, I watched some games, you know, there, there was um, degrees of the England games that I've watched the last two games where I thought, I'm going to turn it off in a minute because yes. I want to be entertained. I want to watch, you know, I don't want to wait 45 minutes for someone to have a shot on target. Um, you don't get out of Brighton. You know, it's end-to-end stuff. It's exciting. Um, yeah, we're going to lose the odd game, um, but you know, under, I think under the previous manager, I think we we got to the stage sometimes where we were accepting a draw. We could, you know, we wanted, you know, a, we, you know, we, we'd nick a draw or something like that, and we were quite pleased with it. I think now, I think he would rather win a game, get three points, and lose one, and draw one. If that makes sense, you know, you're sort of rather than just go through trying to get three draws on the trot. I think you'd rather just go for it. If you win one and you, you need to draw in another one, or you might win two, you know, or you might win all three even. You know what I mean? You've got to give yourself that chance. And I think that's why it's more exciting. I think it's why the crowd of, you know, the way they're... But I think, like I say, it stems from the manager. I watched the... You know what game? Was it Liverpool game last year, the cup game, where they, they had the cameras in the change room at half-time, and he's banging a, a sort of a kit basket. Yes. You know, and, it, and it's passionate. It's come on. You know, and he's not afraid to drop people if they're not performing. He's not afraid to let people go if they're not, you know, if they don't want to be part of the club. He's not, he's not afraid, you know, and, and that's what I think you need as a manager. He looks, yes. You look, you go through the division. I think you've got, I think you could probably name Klopp, who's probably got that similar sort of charisma about him and he's got that in him to give out a few wallakins. Guardiola, obviously. Um, Al one, certainly. And possibly the Tottenham fellow looks like he don't take much nonsense. Mm-hmm. So and it's no shock that them sort of teams are up where they are at the moment because I think they've got that personality in front of them that won't take any of that rubbish anymore. Yeah. It's hard it's football, football when it's, it's it's been described as brave football by a lot of pundits. I think that's right. It's it's just going for it. And as you said, yeah. even if we come off second best in some of these games, it doesn't matter because the fans will appreciate the effort and the intent in games. And I think. They they love it. I love it. I go into games now thinking we could win any of these, anything, any game we could win that. We won't yeah. win them all. 
I must admit, well, I was think, a bit kind of. I think sick. personally, we've got to because you look at teams like your Brentford and your Aston Villas. That's what they're doing. And if you yeah. don't, if you don't, if you don't sort of like compete with that, and you don't sort of like match that like to like, then you find yourself dropping down a little bit. Yeah, um, and I, and they're sort of the teams. Apart, apart from sort of the obvious ones like your Liverpool, your Man Cities, and that, they're probably the only other teams that I'll probably pay to watch is your Villas, your Brentfords, and your Brightons because yeah. you know you're going to get some excitement, you're going to get goals. Yeah, you might lose your game, but at the end of the day, you're going to come away from there thinking, "I fancy us in this game." You know what I mean? I fancy us in this game. I won't be unlucky. We should have won that. Yeah, and that's yeah. what that's what pundits have said, isn't it? They yeah. they, they pay to watch us, and um, the only especially game... like you say, sorry to interrupt. Especially like you say, how we, me and you were brought up on that sort of football, and yeah. when sort of football, you know, or in them days it was a bit different because you we used to sort of like cheer the odd tackle, you know, crunching tackle used to go in as well. But you know, obviously the games changed in them days, but you still want that passion and you still want that excitement and you still want to walk away from a game going, oh my God, how good was that? You know, rather than walking away going, mm, you know, we have got a draw, who got next? That sort of thing, you know. The only downside, yeah. I was going to say, Guy, was um, obviously now with Europe, it's brilliant, but the downside with that is obviously managing extra games, managing a squad. We've gone down a rotation path, which I think in the long term might work well, but obviously there's, we're going to suffer with certain elements of that as we go along. And annoyingly, and we talked about it, I think it might have been off air, or was it on air? I can't remember, about injuries. Certain clubs, Newcastle got 11. United have had lots of injuries. Spurs have had lots of injuries. And Brighton, I think at the current count, we've got nine or 10 at the moment, depending on who you believe, plus the Hoods out for three games as well with the suspension. And so lots of personnel are weakened. And it's quite annoying. We're coming into the Forest game. Last year, we were... Um, I think we were we were kind of going into that game at an unfortunate moment, weren't we? We were tied towards the end of the season. They were up with it. They had their heads up and they were good at home. We're kind of in the same boat now, aren't we? And we go into this game this coming weekend, Forest away. Could be a tricky one. Mittimer might be out apparently now as well as as well as the long list of other injuries. Evan Ferguson came off with a hamstring in the Ireland game as well the other day. So they're going to be out. Donkey, I think, is maybe back in terms of what we're hearing. Um, but overall, we're going to have about eight or nine players out again, maybe ten. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like I said before, I'd love to – I'm not really up to, you know, uh, scratch with how it works, but I would love to know if there's – like I said, nowadays, I think every single position that you uh, get in the Premier League is worth X amount of money, two million or three million, whatever it is. Yeah. So – I don't know whether they are um, reluctant to sort of put, you know, throw people in at the deep end. Like I say, give Inchwood a run of five, six games, give Cernso a run of five, six games, another young lad or whatever. So I don't know whether they've got that on the back of their mind thinking, if we do, we probably may not be as good for a couple of games, but until they get up to that scratch. Um, it's a fine line, isn't it, really? Because without you're only going to get that experience by playing games. Um but but I might be completely wrong. It probably you know it might be the opposite. Um, but it'd be interesting to find out you know whether they do have that in the back of their head. Uh, like you say, with a lot of injuries that come up. Um, yeah, be be be, um, be interested to find out. Uh, because like I said in the old days, you would have, you know with injuries they wouldn't have hesitated. They would have just chucked you in sink or swim. Really, you know if you if you sort of went in there for two or three games and you had a bit of a nightmare, you'd probably be out and you you wouldn't play again. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to find out what they think. Yeah, probably would have. Because I, I wanted to play every game when I when I played, yeah. I didn't want to be rested for a cup game. I didn't want to no. be rested for a league cup game. I wanted to play every single game because I'm getting a relationship with my fella 
teammate or left back or centre half or whatever, and I'm building a relationship with them in the game, and also you're getting your match fitness up to then be left out for three or four games and then come back in for three or four games. You know, I don't know. I'd be interested to find out how that affects you, or if it does, it might not. Yeah, because you've got rotation <laughs> yeah. and you've got injuries are both affecting that synergy, aren't they? Aren't they? Which yeah, because is... like start of the season, it was always used to do pre-season, and you used to do a lot of running, you used to do a lot of this, that and the other, and you play lots of friendly games, but they weren't, it wasn't like you were doing full out like you would in a proper league game. So always first two, three, four games of the season, you were getting up to that, you know, you're there on fitness, but you were then getting into that and that after three or four games. Five games into the season, <coughs> you're in top form, your top fitness, um, and then to be then left out for two games, it must be a bit weird. And then having to come back in again, it's, I don't know how it works. But, um, and uh, you know, like I said, in the old days, you would go and then play reserve football, uh, you know, which is that standard. You're still sort of, it's not like that that standard, but you're still sort of playing competitive games. I don't know if, what they do now. Does someone go in the under-21s or they they just play games in training? Or Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out. Yeah, a bit of both. I mean, I, I would have guessed, I mean, I've got notoriously awful predicting results. I would have gone for a score draw, but I've I've got this weird feeling that I'm on a downer about how well we might do at the weekend, which makes me think those are the moments when we surprise ourselves and get a good result. So I'm now going to second guess myself and say we're going to win 3-1, which now pulls that score out. <laughs> um, but, but what do you reckon, guys? Do you reckon we can get a result here? What's what's going to... Yeah, I think so. I think, I think we will. Um, providing, like you say, everyone's sort of Whose plane's not carrying any injuries with them? I think, I think, yeah, I think we win. They'll come at us, um, you know, they'll, they'll come at us. The crowd will get right behind them, and it's a case of going there. Don't concede early. Set up your shop. Be solid, and just work, work your way into the game. No, no silly mistakes at the back. Work your way into the game, and then I think we'll, I think the, the class will come through, and I think we'll win two 0 Pick them off. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure, guy. Thank you very much for joining us. Just before you go. Just to plug the uh, your your stuff again. So in terms of the event, that's the fifteenth of December. Yeah, so- Friday fifteenth of December, two to, uh, twelve till four in the afternoon. So Christmas lunch with the legends. Got a lot of ex players coming along, ex managers, uh, and it'd be a great Q and A. Lots of fun, lots of stuff on the screen. Uh, raising vital funds for the foundation as well. Um, and uh, yeah, go on the club's website. There'll be a found link for the foundation on there, and you will find all the details on there. Christmas legends lunch. So come along, yeah, like I say, it'd be brilliant. Okay, Superb. Mm-hmm. Guy, it's been a pleasure. So thank you for joining us, uh, Mr Guy Butters, and we'll, we'll get you on again, sir. Lovely, thank you. Cheers. 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 And that wraps up the episode. So, um, well, for me, I uh, absolutely loved uh, chatting to Guy here. And um, until next time, which will be our match day special for the next match, it's Stand or Fall up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.